Hey everybody, we are here on a Saturday. If you are in America, you've probably recently celebrated Thanksgiving. If you're in Canada, you celebrated back in October. And in general, we all have things to be thankful, whether we celebrate Thanksgiving or not. And that's part of what we're doing here today. Even though it is my birthday, I decided I wanted to celebrate it with you guys, with all of you, with my Ice and Fire Game of Thrones family. And that's what we're doing, and I'm excited to be here today to talk to you guys. I'm wearing a, my birthday shirt that Ashea gave me. Um, as you can see, that's it speaks... That's what? See? <laughs> she said it. <laughs> exactly. Now we're on. So thank you, everybody, for joining us here. We're very happy to be spending this um, holiday season together. And, of course... I hope everybody's having a good time. It's uh, a Saturday, whether you're in the evening time over in Europe or farther east, or if you're on the West Coast, it's a bit earlier. Here we are in Atlanta, Georgia, and it is about two o'clock, and I am still a little full from the last couple days of eating, but I'm, as always, excited to chat with you guys about what we've got going on, and I thought I'd do something special today because... You know, this is a different kind of episode. It's not exactly the deep dive into the material that we often do, like we did with our Crypts of Winterfell episode recently. This is more of a fun hangout time. But we will get into some content, of course. There'll be some good questions, I assume. That'll be on you guys to ask good questions, of course. But you guys usually do come through with that in spades. So I am taking that for granted at this point, because y'all are just so on top of it all the time. And I also prepared something, well, I wouldn't say I prepared it. It's a very straightforward thing. It doesn't really need preparation because it's my own experiences. And I wanted to tell you guys the story of how I got into A Song of Ice and Fire and eventually Game of Thrones, of course. And that'll take up the first few minutes of, of our show. But first, let me do a few announcements and talk about what's coming up for us. As we always do, there's a lot going on here, so I want to keep you guys up to date even if you, because uh, not everybody can follow us on social media, you know, we're on Twitter and Facebook and, and all these other places, but it's pretty hard to keep all the news out there and keep you guys abreast of what's happening. But in order to facilitate that more, our first piece of news I want to bring up is that we have a Facebook group now. We announced it back in the Crypts of Winterfell episode. So, you know, only about a month ago, not even quite a month. And so far we've got a few hundred people joining. And there's a few other, there's, a, there's at least a few dozen people who have tried to join and haven't been admitted because you didn't answer the questions. We have a couple of very simple questions that you have to answer to get in the group just so we can avoid having trolls and bots and people who just don't actually listen to our show and try to come in. So we don't, we don't want any of that. So very simple questions. It only takes you about not even a minute. I mean, literally 30 seconds you can type the answers in. It's very simple stuff. If you listen to the show, you know you're going to know the answers to these things. And so if you haven't been led into the group, that's why. Just go back and take a look, answer the questions, we'll get you in there. People are posting good discussions, good, all sorts of fun, and it's a great environment for, for that. We don't allow talking of politics and anything else that is not so great for fostering community. <laughs> um, what else do I have for the announcements? So definitely hope, you all, hope to see you all in the Facebook group. Also, recently I was in a Guys Night Out episode with... Uh, Amin of a podcast of Ice and Fire, and he was the host. And we also had Valkyrist from um, Vassals of Kingsgrave, and he does a lot of great voice work in the community as well. And also Elio Garcia, um, who uh, is, of course, the co-author of The World of Ice and Fire and 
co-creator of Westeros.org, which is going to be a part of the origin story I'm going to tell shortly. That was the first time I've ever been on a podcast with Ilio, so that was a lot of fun. Um, it would I would have kind of figured we would have crossed paths sooner. I mean, we certainly interacted before on Twitter and Facebook. We've, we've had conversations before, but we hadn't been on a podcast before, so that was a lot of fun. So I recommend checking that out if you're curious. Again, that's on the podcast Device and Fire stream. Podcast Device and Fire is the longest-running Song of Ice and Fire podcast, so that's really cool. And I think it's about my fifth, maybe sixth appearance on that show. They're always uh, very generous in having me on there, so good times. As far as what we have coming up in terms of episodes, well, we have a Blood Raven episode that's in progress. And as so often happens, and you might understand why with Blood Raven, we've had to split that into two episodes. And figure, consider other characters we've dealt with, like Bittersteel, that's right on point with the Blackfire Rebellions, or someone who's not Blackfire related, like Joanna Lannister or Euron Greyjoy. These are characters that didn't have particularly long lives. You know, Blackfish is one that's a little older. You know, he's almost 60. And Bloodraven is currently about 125 years old. So if it takes us to a two-hour episode roughly to cover, you know, 40 to 60 years of someone's life, well, you can see why this is going to take more than one episode. And his lives are so distinct from each other, right? He's got his life up to the point where, you know, he's a the hand of the king for almost 25 years. Before that, he's d involved in court in other ways. And he's deeply involved in the Blackfire Rebellions, obviously, for so long. And then he goes to the Wall, and it's a completely different story. Of course, his old life is very relevant. It's part of why he got elected Lord Commander so quickly, because he had you know, such clout and such experience as a leader of men. So it, that's just two very distinct lives, and we're going to have fun talking about them. So, of course, first we'll do the early part of his life, the Blackfire stuff, and then we'll put out a second episode that won't be under the Blackfire auspice. It won't be part of the Blackfire series because it really doesn't have anything to do with that, even though Bloodraven is obviously a big part of that. Clearly, his the second half of his life entirely divested from anything regarding the Blackfires, as far as we know. <laughs> so that is something to look out for. Um, hopefully we'll have the first part of that out before the end of the year, but that's going to be kind of tight. I'm guessing now it's going to be more like the early part of January, but we shall see. We also have a House Manderly episode in the works. That is mostly being worked on by our co-writer Joe Buckley, uh, who did about half the work on the Blackfish episode, which we were very happy with. And so we're taking it a step further this time, and we have prepared a lot of work for that. There's a lot of story to tell with regards to the Manderleys. And in line with that, I'm working um, also on the next Aziz versus chapter, which is the Aziz versus the North Remembers, and that has a lot of Manderly stuff in it. So we'll be hitting you hard with Manderly action very soon. We also have in January a collaborative episode, something very new, and we're going to team up with History on Fire. I think we're going to call it History on Fire and Blood. <laughs> And History on Fire is a good friend of ours. I helped him set up his Patreon, and I've been a fan of his show since I discovered it, which was luckily early on. Um, and he has a fantastic show of covering a variety of histor historical topics. And we're going to do Game of Thrones versus history. We're going to take a lot, not all, because there are way too many, but a lot of the main ones and some of the lesser known ones, as much as we can fit into an episode and discuss all kinds of things about where George has been inspired from real-life history. In some cases, there's multiple inspirations for the same event. In some cases, it's stuff you've heard of. Like, the war. everybody, well, maybe not everybody, most people, especially y'all who follow my channel, our channel for a long time, know that 
that the uh, George's story is very heavily influenced by the Wars of the Roses. That's a big one. But there's so many others. There's the Scottish Black Dinner, which is sort of related to the Red Wedding. There's examples of you know characters throughout the series that fit real world characters from big and small and we'll be getting into a lot of that that should be a blast hope you guys enjoy that and if you have specifics if you have historical topics that you know relate to game of thrones go ahead and fire fire at us uh fire that at us send it to us westroshistory at gmail.com you never know we might have missed one and if you're excited about a particular one, you have some specific insight, maybe we'll get you a shout out in there as well. Because like I said, this is a very open-ended topic. It's not like we can just study the books and figure all these things out. We don't know where George got his inspiration. It's not like he writes it down and tells it. So this is a collective of, of years and years of experience of, of studying these things and reading about George R. R. Martin's influences and kind of piecing all this together as well as getting opinions from other people. So it should be really good. We'll see. Let's see. Also... We have the ladies only stream, which is still TBA. We're going to get that going pretty soon. Um, we're still scheduling that. It's a, This is a tricky time of year for setting things up because everybody's busy with end of year commitments and family stuff and holidays. So we're, we're maybe going to have that in January. We're not sure yet. I won't put a date on that, but we're going to, we're still, we haven't forgotten about that. Some people have been asking. It is still in the works. Okay. That is all for the announcements as far as upcoming episodes, except to say that our Crypts of Winterfell episode, which you are no doubt aware of, was a Patreon voters episode. And that, of course, is something we do about twice a year and where patrons pick uh, from a list that we provide, as well as voting on what will be on the list in a second ballot. We do two ballots, one to pick an episode, another to fill the ballot back up with topics as we make those episodes. So we'll see what gets picked next. And if you're interested in joining the team of voters, go to historyofwesteros.com and click on the Patreon links on the right sidebar. Speaking of patrons, I want to give a few shout outs, as we always do, to people who make the show possible, especially on an episode like this where we're being extra sure to give thanks. That is part of the theme today. So it's, of course, very appropriate that we thank our patrons who make so much of this possible. Thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the Long Snapper, History of Westeros' first sword, first in bravery, first in battle, as well as our dragon riders. That is Lord Mark of House Joseph, the Snow and Winterfell, rider of Maslacartho, the white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons, who has new art looking cool. We got a new piece of art from Luke Fitzsimons, or Luke Fitzsimons. Sorry, Luke, if I didn't say your name right, not really sure. Um, and we also have Tanis, uh, sorry, Talanis the Talon, King of Gagasos, rider of Talarius, the Red Dragon, with scales, horns, and talons of Midnight Black, as well as Jinx of House Lier, Green Queen of the Rainwood, rumored daughter of a Woods Witch, rider of Erogenia, a Sylphic albino dragon with amethyst eyes and opalescent wings i'm getting pretty good at saying that one that's a tricky one but i think i think i've gone several episodes in a row without me messing it up and i just messed up saying the word messing so there you go <laughs> had to get that in there okay so we have a super chat from a lady of waves uh Rebea. what storyline in the show has drastically changed your view of what will happen in the books happy name day and ashe is the best that is true ashe is the best even though it's my name day ashe is the best that's that's undoubted and completely true. So let's see here. Um, that is a great question. And it's something I've considered making a full episode out of because we've had more time to think about this. Of course, during the TV season, we're generally giving you our opinions of something within 24 to 72 hours of it happening. And that is very different than how we present our book knowledge, which is something that's been building over literally over a decade. 
Um, so it's something, the, the amount of time we've had to consider the, the, our takes on the TV show versus our takes on the books is very different. And of course you guys know that, but I'm not sure if you realize just how much that adds up. So sometimes I think about going back to certain book topics like this, or sorry, certain show topics like this, which relate to the book topics, and taking a second look. And given that season eight is going to be delayed, there's a little more time to consider some of those things, especially because some of these things are so climactic, you would think that at least some of them came from George. I don't know that I could pick one particular one that stands out in that regard, because there are a lot. But... I got to say that some of the stuff with the dragons in the last, you know, just because it's fresh on my mind and because it's so visually stunning, seeing Viserion melt the wall, that's one that I really struggle with. I, don't, I wouldn't say that that's definitely drastically changed my mind, but it has drastically changed the range of ideas of possibilities. I never, ever considered a dragon melting the wall back in the day. Never once in... You know, I, as I'm going to tell my story soon, I've been involved in A Song of Ice and Fire for about 17 years, and I had never heard that theory. Never seen it, never... Maybe some fringe ideas, maybe somebody is bound to have come up with the idea of the dragon knocking down the wall. Like, that's not that crazy of an idea. But I hadn't seen it in the mainstream. I hadn't seen mainstream theorists or other YouTubers run with that idea until we all saw it and were kind of blown away by it. That comes to mind. I'm sure there's other ones. Maybe throughout this episode, I'll come. a couple other ones will pop into my mind. That's a pretty big one. But there's other ones that were mostly it's things that get confirmed. A lot of things that we were pretty sure about, but then they happen on the TV show, and that still doesn't completely confirm them in the books. But a good example is Sandor, you know, being the gravedigger. That's just a, one of those theories that's so ubiquitous. It's not up there with R plus L equals J in terms of just accepted by almost everyone. Because there are people who don't accept R plus L equals J, or there are people who think it's not totally confirmed. But Sandor is maybe the, the next level of those kind of theories that almost everybody believed, even though it wasn't confirmed. And then when the TV show comes along and, and shows it to us, we're like, okay, what are the actual odds that this isn't going to happen in the book at this point? I mean, can you even put a percentage on that? Is it 0.1%? Is it 1%? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's just a slam dunk. It is happening in the books. It's gonna. I mean, I just can't see it any other way. It just seems too blatant. But there's some others that are trickier. So maybe one day, like I said, maybe we'll prepare an episode along those lines and, and figure that out and get get some more. Maybe we'll even learn some new things and, and catch some things that we didn't catch before. That could be, that's entirely possible. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for all the birthday wishes. I see them coming through here. Definitely want to say as well, maybe I should have said this at the beginning, but as far as this goes, we're gonna. you guys can ask me anything you want today. This is a Q&A, but it doesn't have to be GOT, A Song of Ice and Fire related. I assume most of the questions will be, but you can treat this like an AMA, which is, if you're not familiar, a Reddit AMA is an Ask Me Anything. And we've actually done a Reddit AMA in the past, but that was, that was quite a while back. And a lot of you guys hadn't even heard of us then. So we want to, it's, it's good to do every once in a while. So that you do not have to ask questions related to the, the series itself. You can ask questions about the podcast, about me. You can ask whatever you want. If, uh, if I don't like the question, I just won't answer it. But feel free <laughs> to, to ask whatever you like. Can I ask you Star Wars questions? Yes, you can ask me Star Wars questions. I'm not the most knowledgeable Star Wars guy, but, you know, I've got a few takes. <laughs> I'll feed them to you. Okay. <laughs> Ashay is going to be feeding me the questions, so I don't have to be monitoring the too answers. much. Oh, and, oh, the answers. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I misunderstood. Ashay will feed me the Star Wars answers, because she is 
very knowledgeable about Star Wars. I definitely uh, r- rely on her for a lot of my Star Wars knowledge. Although I am no doubt a big Star Wars fan. Let me know. I'm not trying to say I'm not a Star Wars fan. Let's get that clear. I am definitely one of those people that when he sees Star Wars and that music starts and that opening trumpet blast starts, I do become an eight-year-old again. And that's a long time ago. I haven't been eight for many years. More than 30 years. (laughs) Here I am being coy about how old I actually am. But I actually don't mind saying. I'm 42. I am the answer to everything. That's right. I am that magical age now. Okay. Um, Rebecca, Lady of Waves also has, how has Curb changed your life? So she is referring to a Facebook post recently where I mentioned that I have only recently started watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, relatively speaking. The show's been around since, I guess, 2003-ish or something like that, pretty long ago. And of course, it's restarted again. Season 9 just began again about seven weeks ago. And I thanked myself on Facebook for not watching it because now... It was like saving. It was like an investment because I, past me gave future me a gift, which was the gift of eight plus now, you know, eight and a half or nine and a half seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I've already watched all of them more than once. So it's, I'd say it's changed my life for the better in a good way. I have a lot, whole lot new uh, jokes to, to, to um, you know, references to make. <laughs> you know, this, uh, I can go around saying things are pretty, pretty, pretty good and now i know what people are mean when they say that and you guys know what i mean when i say that too i hope if you if you don't well you need to go watch curb your enthusiasm for real like right after the stream is over go ahead season one episode one get on that all right so let me go ahead and um oh here's another question we have from uh Stephen Stark, a super chat. Thank you, Lord Stephen. What is your favorite fandom outside a song of ice and fire favorite characters from that fandom? Ooh, good question that's a tough one. I really like a variety of smaller fandoms. I'm not sure that there's, there's no fandom that I'm even halfway as invested in as A Song of Ice and Fire, not even close. I'm, I'm digging, let's talk about things that I'm currently enjoying and we'll see if I can get anywhere with that. I'm, I'm reading the Stormlight Archive series. I'm running the third book, which just came out. If you guys are reading that series, well, two thumbs up. Very, I'm pretty early in the book still. Um, the one problem with large books like this, even though, you know, it's not kind of funny coming from me who has spent so much time getting to know the large Song of Ice and Fire book so well, when you don't read a book, when you're in the midst of a series and it takes a, you know, you don't get a book for two years, which, you know, it's been even longer for us here in the Song of Ice and Fire land, but we're constantly keeping ourselves involved. So it's not like we forget what's happening in A Song of Ice and Fire. But, uh, you know, Stormlight Archive, the, the books are the same size as A Song of Ice and Fire, roughly, maybe slightly longer. And so if you go two years and you don't really think about it too much in between, it's a lot to try to, like, remember. Like, wait a minute. These characters and this stuff, and this is very complicated, large world. It's a good thing. It's a good problem to have to like try to reacclimate yourself to all these things. I do really like Star Wars. I read some of the. I got back into Star Wars when it came back out. You know, when Force Awakens came, I, I read Bloodline and um, what's that Catalyst. other book? Catalyst, which are two of the prequel books. Really good. They're really solidly re- uh, written, and um, I really yeah definitely enjoyed those. I've always been a big baseball fan, which isn't really a fandom, but, you know, in in the same sense of the word, but it is possibly the thing I'm most into apart from um, A Song of Ice and Fire. And uh, that's probably boring to a lot of you, but it is what it is. (laughs) Let's see. What else do we have here? Um, More questions. From uh, from Rita, Rita Unbound. Happy birthday, Aziz. Do you have any guitar playing videos? If not, would you please play for us someday? Hmm. 
I have some old videos of a, a metal band I was in that were on YouTube that I can't find anymore because you know, that's what happens when your video only gets 50 views and it's six or seven years old. And I, but I don't really have anything playing classical or, you know, this or, or anything like that. So maybe yeah, I could do that one day. I've, I've definitely toyed with the idea of adding some guitar um, work behind some of the quotes. And Radio Westeros has music with their quotes. And I think that's a really awesome way to make the quotes you know, they're more powerful that way. And they're just more, it's just more entertaining. I think it's just cool to have music that way. And since I can make the music myself, maybe, um, I've toyed with that idea. I thought about doing it for Eclipse of Winterfell and I just, this time, I didn't want to add any more days to the production success cycle. So I'm just going to do some recording on the side. And if I like what I do, then I'm going to add it. Um, but yes, I, I'd be down to do that someday. Uh, my skills go in and out with, you know, sometimes I got to shake off the rust. I haven't been playing lately, but it's like riding a bike. You never forget, you know, <laughs> I still have the, still have the classical guitar fingernails. If you can see, you probably can't anyway. Um, yeah, so I started on classical guitar in college and, uh, before that I played, started playing guitar when I was about 12. So I've been playing guitar a long time, played some bands as well. Good stuff. I love music. Uh, my mother is a musician. And this is actually kind of a funny story. Not that my mother's a musician. That's not a funny story. That's just, that's just cool. But my father, who I've never met, is also a musician. And I, when I was 28, I discovered I had two half-brothers and two half-sisters that I'd never, you know, of course I'd never met them. Uh, that's the point. I said I discovered them. And this is thanks to the internet. And we, we found each other. It's partly because my name is a little unusual. That helped us find each other. And... They said when I found them, they said they knew I was out there somewhere but had no idea how to find me. So I went to a family reunion and met them all. And we all got along great. And all of them but one are musicians too. It's just crazy how all everybody went to music school in my family just about. It's, it's weird even though we, a lot of us didn't even know each other. So yeah, that apple doesn't far too fall from the tree concept <laughs> somehow gets back in there. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, next question. We have Drunk a Song of Ice and Fire. History, yes, <laughs> appropriately named. Favorite brand for electric guitars and favorite brand for acoustic? Ooh, good question. Um, for electric, I really like um, Paul Reed Smith guitars. I have a, um, a PRS baritone. And it's a funny story. I sh this is slightly embarrassing to say it this way. I once went into Guitar Center and saw this baritone guitar sitting there. And I just was kind of drawn to it. And I asked to, to play it. I didn't even realize it was baritone. I did not realize it was a baritone guitar. I've, I, I'm actually a guitar major, and I did not know I was holding a baritone guitar. So that's the embarrassing part. I just thought it had higher gauge strings. I'm like, oh, this has some fat strings on it. So which is which is kind of thing you often look for when you're playing metal, especially downtuned metal, because when you when you lower the tuning of your strings, they get kind of they can get floppier, and you and they can. That's not good. So certain strings are designed specifically for downtuning. That's not something that you could see a lot of like 20 years ago. That's a lot more popular now. Anyway, that's a tangent. So I'm sitting here playing this baritone guitar and this the, one of the Guitar Center employees comes up and is like, hey, you like the baritone guitar, huh? And I'm like, yeah, the baritone guitar. I knew this was a baritone guitar. <laughs> right. And I, so I bought it and it's, uh, it's a great guitar. I love it. Um, it's in B standard tuning, although I usually, uh, I don't leave it in that tuning. I usually move it around. But it's fantastic. I love it. Good, good guitar. As far as acoustics, I'm, I guess I would stay. I'm kind of a standard Gibson guy for acoustics. Um, I, I don't have a lot of experience with regular acoustic guitars. I have more experience with classical guitars. I do own several acoustics, but um, I'm not really a gearhead. You know, that's kind of an interesting thing. Most most musicians are 
I'd say I'm on the bottom 10% on my gelling with gear. You know, I don't, I don't, I have, I have not much of a collection of pedals. I don't know a lot about amps, even though I have several. <laughs> so anyway, Loremaster asks, like any video games? Yes, actually, I'm not a, I, I, I've always been a gamer. I'm not, I, you know, I grew up, I got a computer, a Commodore 64 when I was like eight years old. So I had a, you know, and I had an Atari 2600 when I was growing up playing games like Heck, I don't know why I started that sentence, because I do not remember any of the names of any of those games. Space Invaders, okay, there's one. <laughs> and, you know, they had a version of Pac-Man, I guess, too. But anyway, the, I nowadays, I'm more of a strategy gamer. I don't like a lot of um, action games. Although I do play Mountain Blade Warband, which is something I've considered streaming. Because that is an action game, and it's got a mod that's really well-developed. Actually, it's got two mods that are really well-developed for Game of Thrones. So I've never played the regular Mountain Blade Warband. It's a first-person swords and shields and axes and riding a horse and bows. And, and I've, I have a lot of fun with that. I have a character in that game, and you can walk around Westeros and Essos and meet people like Barristan Selmy and Brienne of Tarth and get them to join your party. And you get, like, Northern Levy and Riverlands Archer and, like, non-named characters. And they can level up, too. And you can get control of villages and towns. And I had a character that once ruled Lannisport. And uh, that's it's a very fun game. Um, that's something I definitely spend my downtime with. And, I've, like I said, I've considered streaming it because it's right on point with Game of Thrones stuff. Game both Shea and I have streamed is Crusader Kings 2. We did a test stream on that, and we're going to do some some more streaming of that. I figure the next time I do a Crusader Kings 2 stream, I'm going to let you guys pick which house I'm going to play. Now, you, some of you have heard me talk about Crusader Kings 2 before, as Shea as well, and we've even presented at con, two different cons, Con of Thrones and Balticon. We even talked about different games of A Song of Ice and Fire. Shea put a lot of work into this, and, and I put in um, some help as well, preparing... Yeah. She says, nah, I didn't do anything. No, all I did was talk. <laughs> and we, you know, talked about a variety of games, not just computer games, but card games and board games as well, and miniatures games, things like that. And it's, there's a lot. I mean, we could, we've considered doing a whole video on it because there's so many. In fact, we haven't considered, we're going to, it's just we haven't settled down to get it all together. We don't have a timeline on that or anything. But it's something that should happen, and I think you guys would discover, especially those of you, well, particularly those of you who are gamers. If you're not a gamer, you probably wouldn't care much about that at all. But there's so many really well-made games in set in Westeros or in George R. R. Martin's world, however you want to put it. And like our community, which is which fosters people who just really get into it, these games have that same level of dedication where the people who really care about the world and they get the details right. I mean, Crusader Kings 2 is this very deeply detailed medieval dynasty game where you are the lord the lady the queen the king of something you know could be you could be the lord of winterfell you could be the lord of you could be the king of all of westeros or you could just be some little knight holding a tiny little piece of territory um or throughout the history of a family you could be all these things and you, every time you die you take over as your heir and and each each character each heir or each rather each character in the game has a very uh massive set of traits and skills that makes each character very unique and that's a lot of fun. So it's a very deeply involved game. It's a game that you should not get into lightly because it will eat up many hours of your life. <laughs> okay. Stephen Stark asked, were you a pro Magic player? Yes, I was. I was a Magic the Gathering player in the early days of the game. I have a lot of friendships with many 
famous magic players. Um, I know John Finkel really well and Chris Pakula and Brian Kibler. And a lot of these guys are um, associates, friends. We've all, we've hung out in the past before these guys were famous. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I discovered magic early on. I played on the third pro tour and then the fourth and fifth and sixth pro tour. And I made, uh, I, I think I competed in at least one U.S. Nationals. And yeah, it's it, magic is really fun. It was great in the early days. I think it's still a good game now, but it's it's not my thing anymore. It's a it's not a game that you get into lightly. I think well, not I wouldn't get into it lightly because I'm just too. I guess I'm too competitive. So um, it's a good game, and it's it was a great experience. And like I said, a lot of the friends I have now are people that I met through magic. And I got to say, I. Nothing against the magic community, but I really do prefer the Song of Ice and Fire community. The magic community is a lot more competitive. And I'm not in a Song of Ice and Fire to compete with people. This is a community of friends and hanging out. So that's one aspect that's a little different. Again, I'm not saying any, I'm not slamming that community at all. But it is also another thing I like about the Song of Ice and Fire community is it's a lot more diverse. It's um, Magic is predominantly male. Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I prefer more diversity, you get more variety of opinions. But again, I have a lot of love for Magic. So many friends I have that are in it. A lot of people who work for Wizards of the Coast still. I have a lot of friends in that space. It's great. And um, I'm still in contact with a lot of them on a, on a very frequent basis. Thanks to Ben Cooper for the super chat. Fireworks emoji. Birthday cake emoji. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Celebrating my birthday with y'all. Um, and uh, super chat. Another for Freeman Stark. Oh, this is related to the pro pick, uh, the magic question. He said, I also knew you were a pro poker player. And how did you and Ashea, who is the best meet? Okay, two part question. I guess I already answered the magic part. But yes, I was also a professional poker player. I played online poker predominantly for quite a while. And that was what I did for a living before a History of Westeros. It was a transition. I, I did History of Westeros for fun. For you know, with the chef for several years, and with Steve, who founded History of Westeros, and as poker, I kind of, kind of got, you know, burned out on poker. I did it for about ten years, and it's it isn't the best lifestyle. It can be a little maddening. You can you have to just be able to tolerate the fact that you just went a whole month without ma not only not making money but maybe losing money. You know, when I was a, I would regularly have nine months of the year where I would make money, and three months of the year where I would lose money. So it, it's a really emotionally, you know, testing. Uh, it really tests your emotions, that kind of lifestyle. And I didn't want to, it just, it, I had enough of it after 10 years. But it was good. You know, I've, I'll, just like Magic, I met a lot of people through that who are still friends of mine. And in fact, some of the same people, a lot of Magic people went on to play poker and a lot of them do both. Uh, another person I'm, I know is David Williams, who's a very famous poker player, who's also on Top Chef. And... That's another guy I knew back. We, we knew each other when we were both in our early 20s and stuff. I mean, he's, he's a good bit younger than me. But still, <laughs> another person that some of y'all might have heard of that I knew from back then. Uh, here's a question from... Oh, I sorry. I didn't answer the full question there. How did Ashea and I meet? Well, I was friends with... We had mutual friends. Ashea's father married a friend of mine. And I went to the wedding, which was out in California. It was out near San Diego. And it was actual, actually... Hidden Valley Ranch. <laughs> That's the actual name of the place where they got married. Well, um, yeah, we and we just hit it off really well. And I worked on a business project with her father where I actually lived out in California for a month there. And she was living in that same house. So we were living in the same house together for about a month. It was a nice big house with a couple other people around. But we just really got along, got along great and just constantly found things to talk about. We had a lot in common. And here we are, <laughs> five, six years later. 
So that just went great. You know, sometimes you just get lucky like that and people kind of fall into your life and, you know, never leave. And that's great because <laughs> you don't want them to leave. <laughs> um, another question from Anika Andrea, Andre Shea. Sorry if I said that wrong. How long have you guys been together and did A Song of Ice and Fire have anything to do with it? Well, about five years. We we were, I guess we were official in sometime around March. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah, we're more like five and a half now. It'll be six around March. I think we were official in March or April of 2012, something like that. So pretty good, pretty good length. It's definitely the longest relationship I've ever had. Best as well. Um, of course, I would say that, but it's, it is really true. <laughs> and Song of Ice and Fire definitely had some things to do with it. Um, it wasn't, an, it wasn't an initial bonding thing though. When we first met, you know, again, this was before the TV show had come out. She read the books before the show came out, to be clear. But she, Part, I was part of the influence on her to read them in the first place. And um, so that helped us continue to bond. But when we met, she hadn't read them. So that wasn't an initial thing that, that we bonded over. But it certainly has been a thing that we've bonded over since then. Okay, so I'm going to keep, I'm going to set these questions for a minute, keep, keep them coming. But I'm going to go ahead and tell my origin story, as I will probably cover a few of the questions in the meantime, um, incidentally, just by doing that. So this, will, this, this won't be too long, but it might take me about, I don't know, 10 minutes. We'll see. Okay, so I got into A Song of Ice and Fire near the end of 1999, maybe early 2000. I don't exactly remember, but I do know how to place it in the Song of Ice and Fire timeline, which is that A Storm of Swords was out, but it wasn't out in softcover yet. So it was early in uh, Storm of Swords' publication time. It was only out in hardcover. So my friend Alex McConnell handed me Game of Thrones and said, read this. And he normally, I don't know about you, but if someone just hands you a book and says, read this, especially when it's that big, you don't just immediately read something. Like, that's, a, that's not exactly a small commitment. But Alex had a good track record of recommendations for me. So it was a better recommendation than you might think. It had more weight than you might think. He recommended me Wheel of Time. Now, some people don't like Wheel of Time. I like Wheel of Time. I think it finished kind of, eh, it finished okay. But at the time that my friend Alex recommended Wheel of Time to me, Wheel of Time was only on about book six. And that's, and the first six books were great. Like, it didn't have any drop-off until a little later. So it's around maybe book seven or book eight, depending on who you are. Most people love books one through six if they liked Wheel of Time at all. And the, the criticisms start kind of after that. But again, I think it's a solid series and it's worth reading. But... So he had he had pretty good credibility with me because of that. So I picked it up and I read it and I was I was into it right away. Um, I didn't I wouldn't say I loved it right away, I, but I was very into it and I was you know I recognized that it was a little different than other fantasy because I, I was a reasonably well wet well read person in terms of fantasy I guess in general too. But I was a you know I I hadn't been reading a lot of fantasy then. I had read a lot when I was younger, but I kind of started to fall off. But Wheel of Time kind of brought me back in because it was a little bit more adult. Game of Thrones is far more adult in the sense that it deals with more adult themes. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying Wheel of Time is childish by any means. It's not, but there's just a, just, you know, there's a lack of certain uh, of the worst aspects of humanity that certain authors decide not to deal with, which is a totally fine choice. Brandon Sanderson and the Stormlight Archives the same way. There's no cursing. There's no sex. That's a totally fine authorial choice. But I was struck by George's decision to go headlong into these real concepts and and to kind of, you know, not pack you know not pull any punches at all and so i was i was also a traveling consultant at the time i was an it consultant working on inventory management software so i had a lot of travel time and time in hotel rooms without you know people i knew around so reading was a big part of my life then it still is now but it was vital then because i just had all this really 
boring time to fill. So books are just make boring time awesome. It's just a complete turnaround. It's like a 180. You're like, I'm sitting on an airplane with nothing to do. Oh, wait, I can go be in this other world <laughs> in this inside this book and forget the fact that I'm, you know, I have a headache and I'm, you know, going to be sleeping for only four hours. So that when I finished Game of Thrones, I got Clash of Kings pretty quickly. And I distinctly remember being in San Francisco, technically Walnut Creek, California, when I finished a Clash of Kings. And I was traveling with a, an older co-worker, so the rental car was in his name because he was older. I wasn't, I was, I don't even know if I was 25 yet. I guess I, I could probably do the math on that. I was, I was maybe 25. It's close. And of course, there's a difference there. The reason 25 is relevant is that's the cutoff for when rental cars become cheaper. If you're under 25, they just charge you a whole different set of rates, basically. So my coworker, they charge him because that's where the company saves money, yada, yada. Anyway, so I didn't, the point is I didn't have a car and I finished Clash of Kings. I'm like, what am I going to do? So I go on the internet. This is before Google too. I'm like using the old search engines like Bing or something. I don't even know. And I'm like looking for a bookstore nearby. I can just catch a taxi or convince my coworker to drive me there. Luckily, it was like a, I found a bookstore like a mile away. So I walked there. I walked there and got Storm of Swords. And it's this, you know, big one. I still have the copy. I don't have my original copies of Game of Thrones or Clash of Kings anymore. But I have my original Storm of Swords and it is in pieces. Like the back cover is falling apart. Ooh, Shay is pulling it off the bookshelf for me here. This is, this is what the original Storm of Swords, <laughs> this is still falling apart. And this is because I would keep this in my bathroom and so a little bit of moisture damage happened to it, but mostly just because so I could have it there anytime I wanted to. I could just pick up a chapter and read it. And that's part of how I got so deep into this material is just like repetition of rereading things and just realizing that there was way more there that I was missing and that I needed to keep looking. And so a few years go by waiting for Feast for Crows, you know, where all a lot of us are just ah, waiting, waiting, waiting. And so I started to go look around. I wanted to find people to talk to. And that's how I found Westeros.org. I found the forums. And this was a whole new world for me. Uh, you know, it's not like forums weren't new to me. I, I, was, I was an IRC dude back in the day in the 90s. You know, I'd been on online chat rooms when they were kind of a new thing. And um, so as far as the concept was nothing new to me. But the knowledge that these people had was well beyond what I was prepared for. I, I got humbled pretty quick. I thought I was all Jon Snow and thought, but I really, I knew nothing. And I, so I just sat back. I shut my mouth and did a lot of reading. I read people's posts and realized how much people were into this and how deep it was. And there were so many things I had never caught or noticed or seen and that other people had were already taken for granted because they, they had been discussing them for years. Because this community had existed well before Storm of Swords. Westeros.org launched during Game of Thrones, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, the book, not the TV show, obviously. So that's a lot, right? That's, that's a lot of time where they were kind of banner bearers for the community. Not that there weren't other people. You know, Tower of the Hand was an early adopter as well. There were some other websites that aren't necessarily around anymore. But there were a lot of other websites and but but westeros.org is just the one i found first and they're of course the biggest now and just an example of some of the wacky theories that i thought back then were good you know not other people's theories i don't even remember but some of the theories i like i think i've said this before on an, on an episode or two but i thought daenerys was going to be betrayed one of the three betrayers one of the three betrayals rather was going to be drogon which isn't so crazy until you hear my logic for it and it's because he's a black dragon and the Blackfires were, you know, that was their sigil, the black dragon, and they betrayed the Targaryens. This is my, this is my logic at the time for what I thought passed for a good theory. 
And I was rightfully laughed at for that because that's a silly theory. And that was the last theory I posted for a while. I wasn't mad that I got laughed at because I, I realized pretty quickly that it wasn't a very good theory. And um, luckily for me. <laughs> and I learned a lot from there. Like I didn't even know R plus L equals J. I didn't even have an inkling of it when I, when I came back. So that was also my clue to reread. So I, I went back and reread the books and was like, okay, I picked up so many. And that's when it dawned on me too that these books were designed to be reread because there's all these things that happen where you get the answer to a riddle before you're even given the riddle. So you don't, you don't know that you've been given the answer to a future riddle because you haven't even been given the riddle. And if you don't remember the answer to that riddle that happened a whole book ago, how are you supposed to put that together? So the only way to do that is to have an incredible memory or to go to forums or to reread or to do all, or, or all of the above. You know, some sort of combination of those things. So, yeah. Um, so that continued for a while. I stayed on Westeros.org and I kind of found a new home there for a while. And was I, w I was never a super active poster, but I was a very active reader. And I would get into, I started to get involved in certain things that, you can see where uh, you can kind of understand why these are the things I was interested in because there are still the kinds of things I'm interested in. I was one of the first people to really start to pick at the Stark genealogy in terms of what, you know, piecing together all the statues and everything that we knew. I was, certainly wasn't the first, but one of the people that got really involved in that, when we got involved in several threads, we were trying to figure out the names and dates, things that were later clarified in the world of Ice and Fire. So it was kind of fun to see like who, who was closest on some of these things. And you know, some of the things I got very wrong and some of them I got right. There were just so many different things we guessed at. It was bound to be a few right guesses and a few that were very wrong. But the process was is the important thing. The process of discussing these things with fellow um, addicts, backstory, obsessive people like myself. And just that led to where we are now. You know, that's, that was the beginning of all that. And it just started to really see how big the community was. I discovered that there was a thing called the Brotherhood Without Banners. And I'm not talking about the... The, the group of bandits. I'm talking about the group that's formed on the Westeros.org forums that George originally met a lot of the original group of them because before he was fam super famous. And so he knows a lot of these people's names. And it's still a thing. You know, we've been inducted in the BWB, me and Ashea. And not officially. No. Not officially. We haven't done the... We're not officially. You're right. We are honorary. We're only honorary. I should not... I, I, I spoke too soon there. We are not officially in. We're only honorary members. Because we, we didn't get a task assigned to us by George. That's how people were originally initiated. George would give them like a scavenger hunt-ish type task. Now they're doing the Order of the Fireworm, which we haven't done yet either. We haven't done that. What, what's the Order of the Fireworm? That the... Take a shot of the Fireworm whiskey. Take a shot of the Fireworm whiskey. Okay, well, I can handle that. But I haven't done it. So we're just on the outside at this point. But no, it's a great group of people. And this is the kind of thing. This is like basically, I would call that one of the first non-online communities that formed from an online community. As in a group that meets in real life that met because of an online community. Um, so that's really cool. And nowadays in the Game of Thrones, there's huge numbers of communities that meet. There's, there's all sorts of Facebook groups and, and people that, you know, groups of friends that talk regularly on Twitter or Instagram and that go to cons. Now the cons are, you know, becoming more and more of a thing in our community. So it's just grown so much and it makes me very happy. And I feel really lucky because, I mean... Of all the fandoms to get into, you do it because you're into it, not because you think, ooh, maybe one day this fandom's going to take off and I'll be able to podcast on it. Obviously, I had no idea. I hadn't even heard of podcasts when I got into A Song of Ice and Fire. So I definitely feel really lucky that our fandom got big, you know, and the TV show has a, is a huge part of that. So that's one of the reasons that I'm 
never terribly critical of the show in the end of things because I'm so thankful for all the people it brought to the community. And that's, uh, you know, a big part of where we are today. A lot of people who are a huge part of the community didn't discover the books until the TV show came out. And I'll never, never going to take that away. That's always going to be something they get credit for. George, of course, will always get the biggest credit of all. But, you know, I think that, I think it's important to um, be thankful for, you know, even for things that we're critical of. So let's see. Um, lots more people saying happy name day. Thank you very much for all the name day wishes. Really appreciate it. Um, I, I will also say since it's the concept of name day, Aziz is my middle name. My real first name is Abishai. And through my years of, until about age 21, I went by Andy. They called me Andy when I was a kid, which is weird because, it's not weird. It's just that I don't know how they derived Andy from Abishai Aziz Aldori. Right? That's my full name. And so, yes, my initials are AAA. So anytime you see a video game with the initials AAA, that was me. I, I am the high score holder on millions of video game machines around the world. <laughs> but continuing with the origin story, I then... You know, long period of time in between where um, a lot of us just kind of come in and out of A Song of Ice and Fire because the communities weren't as fully developed back then, right? You know, before Feast for Crows, there was West Rust Order, there's Tower of the Hand, there were a few other spots, but it wasn't nothing like what it was now. And so you could kind of go in and out of the community because it wasn't so, it wasn't as ubiquitous. But when Feast for Crows came out, finally, the announcement was made. There was a lot of excitement, of course, because it was a long wait. And I found out, like a lot of us did, that it was going to come out early in the UK. Well, early compared to the US, like three weeks earlier. So we were like, well, I'm buying my books from the UK. <laughs> I ordered my copies of, I ordered three copies of A Feast for Crows from the UK. And the shipping cost was more than the books themselves. But, it, you know, it still wasn't that expensive considering how excited I was. And, of course, a lot of us were a little disappointed, not with the book, but with what wasn't in it, with the fact that there were no POVs from Tyrion or John. People who pick up the series, it's a really interesting dichotomy. People who pick up the series now are a lot less bothered by that because they know Dance of Dragons is right there waiting for them to pick up the next book. But at the time, you wait five years and you get no Bran, no John, no Tyrion, no Daenerys in a book. It's like, damn. I liked Feast for Crows the first time I read it, but even I was disappointed by that lack, knowing that we'd probably have to wait another five years. You know, I wasn't mad. Unless some people were actually mad. People were like, some people hated the book because of their disappointment, even though it's, oh, we all know now, especially y'all in this group watching today, especially that Feast is right there with all the others. Some people think it's the best because of how well it's written. It's shorter. It doesn't have a lot of the main characters and those are, you know, fair criticisms, but the actual writing is some of his best. And that isn't something people necessarily catch right away because it's the first thing is the excitement and, and getting caught up with everything. Okay, Shay says the questions are piling up, so I'm going to, I'll rush through the rest of this origin story so I can get to these questions because I know you guys have a lot of great questions and some of the questions might be related to this. We go from there, um, you know, I'm still a big fan on Westeros.org, we're doing our thing, and then this is when the rumors of the TV show start to come around. And there's a lot of discussions of just who should be cast in what role. And of course, Peter Dinklage was right away. He was right away cast there. And even HBO was the same way. They never really strongly considered anybody else. They weren't, they weren't sure what they would do if he said no. And he almost did because he's, you know, he doesn't like playing a fantasy dwarf, you know. But then they, you know, as you got, a lot of y'all know, they explained it to him. It's not, it's not like that. It's not, you're not a fantasy dwarf. Um, that was fun and there was a lot of that going on and, but there's also a lot of consternation like how are they going to be able to pull this off and you know that really did happen the TV show comes out it's a big deal it, the, the world explodes 
I, I really did have a tear in my eye when I watched that first episode because, you know, it had built up for so long. The music was, first of all, I'm a sucker for good music and the, the theme song being so good was a start. And just seeing the Stark kids at Winterfell in that first scene and seeing, you know, I knew there were going to be flaws. I knew there were going to be things they were going to leave out, but I was like, wow. I was so nervous it was going to suck. <laughs> I was like, please don't suck. And it was good. Like, whatever criticisms people have of Game of Thrones, most of those criticisms didn't come in that first episode. When it was just that first episode... There was very little criticism to say because it, it hadn't gone very far yet. It was mostly just like, okay, it's an adaptation. Of course, there's going to be some things missing. But for a start, this is fantastic. Like, you know, the casting was really good, blah, blah, blah. So it, it started off on a great foot. There's a lot of excitement. And since then, of course, it's grown and gotten enormous. But there's also, so has the criticisms. The criticisms have grown and gotten larger. And a lot of them are really completely fair criticisms. But again, um, the the... The fact that it's brought so many people to the books is something I'll always be thankful for and grateful for. And we got started in the podcast as such. I was in a, invited to a small Facebook group because my own friends knew that I was obsessed with the Song of Ice and Fire. So, hey, this is in the Song of Ice and Fire group. We should have Elise in there. He knows, you know, some stuff. And this guy, Steve, Steve Mangiamelli, who was a friend of a, a friend of a friend, my good friend, Rudy, his sister, Nancy, who I'm also friends with. She has this friend, Steve, and Steve was the guy who made this group and, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, Nancy invited Steve to this group because she knew that he was doing a, starting a podcast. And I just came on as a guest on his third episode and it was called History of Westeros. He started off doing a lost podcast show, a call-in show, and he wanted to do the same thing for, for Westeros. And he, and he was fascinated by the backstory. And I was like, hey, I'm fascinated by the backstory too. So we hit it off. And, uh, you know, as a lot of y'all know, because we've talked about it over the years, Steve eventually came down with some very serious health problems and he had to retire from the show. And that um, enabled, that basically gave Ashea an opportunity more to step up and be a bigger part of the show because we needed more work. You know, we needed more help with him stepping down. And she's obviously a huge part of the show now. Um, and we wouldn't be able to do nearly as much without her. Without Ashea, we probably would still be just an audio-only podcast. So that's a massive difference there. And um, a lot of other stuff. So I guess there's anything else I'll leave open to specific questions. The, the rest of the, our podcast journey has been pretty well documented since we've been a part of it. But that was it. It was really just, just like me getting into this fandom was sort of an accident and me getting into podcasting was sort of an accident. But, you know, with, with all any opportunity that comes along in life, you know, whether it's something you planned on or not, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't miss it. I, I, I didn't miss my chance, I guess you could say. I definitely, maybe I got into it, I think, mostly because I liked it and I didn't realize what an opportunity would be. So I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm full of thanks for everybody. I'm full of thanks for, for where I am now. And, uh, that's, uh, you know, I can't, I can't express it enough. But now apparently I'm building up a massive amount of backlog and questions. So let's get into that. From Jeremy B. Have you read Oathbringer yet? I'm in the middle of listening to it. I am in the middle of it too. Well, I'm, I'd say I'm not in the middle of it yet. I'm pretty early in it still. Um, and Shea finished it. She crushed it. <laughs> yeah, she was also reading the serial versions because Brandon Sanders did this thing kind of cool, which is that he released like a chapter a week for a while before the book came out. He didn't release the whole book that way, but he released the first chunk of it that way. So people kind of build up. Sort of like what George did, but, you know, more scheduled and, and, and uh, structured. <laughs> George does it like piecemeal. Here's a chapter. Here's a chapter. Where Brandon Sanderson did kind of like a, an organized, like, here's one a week until the book comes out. Uh, so, no, I haven't read it yet. I'm, I, like I said at the beginning of this 
podcast. I'm really still trying to wrap my head around all the concepts in that book because it's 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 a big world with such a well developed magic system and different cultures and everything. And some of it, if you don't reread it, you know, it can easily slip out. So I'm I'm uh, I'm really enjoying it, but I'm taking my time with it because. Well, why not? You know, it's not like I have to podcast on it. <laughs> if it's if it was the winds of winter, I would devour it, so I'd be prepared to talk There's about a new it. New expanse book coming though. That's true. The expanse book. When the expanse book comes out, I'm going to devour that because I can't help myself. <laughs> Big fan of the expanse, y'all. If you're not watching the expanse or reading the expanse, don't sleep on it. It's great. From Kali Bakta, just for the hell of it, which two characters would you most like to see get drunk together? Well, that's interesting. I would like to see, you know, I might like to see a character who doesn't normally get drunk, get drunk with the character who's a very experienced drunk. So maybe like, I don't know, Tyrion getting drunk with Barristan Selmy. I don't know, Barristan Selmy doesn't seem like he'd be that fun as a drunk. He'd still probably be really stuck up. <laughs> kind of guy you'd want on a fight, but I don't know if he'd be that fun to hang out with. Maybe, heck, why not just Tyrion and Robert? Just Robert was pretty funny as a drunk. I mean, you know, the, it touches on real world stuff, you know, like hitting women and doing all sorts of awful things like Robert's a bad guy but in that regard but yeah Varys the says Varys is drunk hmm would he spill secrets when he's drunk I wonder how he seems like so self-controlled it's like would he get drunk so it'd be interesting if he actually did someone actually snuck him strong wine or yeah I wouldn't want to be around drunk sir she would just get meaner you know (laughs) or a lot of these really angry characters, you don't want them to get drunk because they would just get even angrier, even more bitter. Like Bitter Steel, drunk, he would probably just complain the whole time or he would just sit in the corner just sulking and just like clenching his fists and grinding his teeth like Stannis. I wonder what Stannis would be like drunk. Probably kind of boring too. He'd probably be like, I should not be drunk. This is wrong. <laughs> this is, I have better self-control than this. What have I done? Uh, maybe Davos, because that dude needs to relax a bit. He, he's he's earned it. He's earned a couple of stiff drinks. Hmm. That's a good question, but also very hard to answer. <laughs> From Samantha Coopersmith. Could we hear about your cats? Cats are amazing. Could one make an appearance? Okay, we, ha- we have five cats. One of them, we only intended to have two, and we have five. We got the big, very large black cat, Jake and Hakat, who is the cat of black and white. He is, uh, this is Xerxes. He is, of course, as you can see, a Siamese cat. And he is a little, uh, a little crazy. He has blue eyes. He's a very nice cat. He's incredibly sweet. He just is um, addicted to licking my beard. I've been woken up many times to a uh, raspy tongue on my beard. And, uh, yeah. We have a cat named Koja Mew. It was a very shy kitty. She's also a Game of Thrones kitty because Koja is uh, one of the Summer Islanders uh, that Sam and Gilly meet on the Cinnamon Wind. Impressive. And uh, we have two other kitties that we didn't name who were brothers. That's Xerxes was one of them. And we have a cat named Casanova who is a silver tuxedo kitty. And he, um, like I said, he doesn't look anything like his brother, but they are brothers. They're the same size. We got them. We kind of inherited them from um, one of the people who rents a room in our house here. His stepbrother was diagnosed with leukemia, and the doctor said he can't have cats. So we uh, decided to we were we decided to foster the three cats that he brought us, uh, the two brothers and their mother. The mother did not get along, so we rehomed her or somewhere where she was living by herself, and she's much happier now. And we just decided we couldn't not keep these other two. And then the fifth cat is an outdoor cat who just showed up one day and kept showing up because well we fed her. 
So I guess we kind of asked for it. <laughs> and she's named Phyllis, as in Phyllis Diller. We call her Phyllis Killer because she has a raspy voice. And as an outdoor cat, she kills chipmunks and rabbits and the occasional other thing that she'll bring to us. And occasionally, one time she left a corpse without a head and the head right next to it on our back porch. And it was very serial killer-ish. But, you know, cats will be cats. We do love our cats. Uh, they make me smile all the time. It's very nice to have cats around. Um, good to keep, good for de-stressing and keeping a certain level of, you know, you can't be too unhappy when you have cats around. <laughs> From Ryan at C85, Ryan, etc. 85. Happy birthday, Assis. Do you ever use your cats to act out scenes from Ice and Fire? <laughs> uh, Jaken is a book purist. This, when I call him Jay, here's another thing I need to point out. He, yes, it's properly pronounced Jockin, right? The sh as the show revealed to us, and the show isn't necessarily correct, but I think Jockin is probably correct. The problem is, when I first saw it, I read it as Jakin. And then I listened to Roy Dotrice's audio versions, and he says Jakin. And we named our cat Jakin before the TV show came out. So we come to learn in season two that it's Jockin. We're like, oh, well, it's too late. This cat's named Jakin. I'm not renaming our cat that we've had for a couple of years. So that's why I pronounce it that way. And uh, he has, like I said, he's a book purist. We got an Essos map. One of those 4D puzzles where it has the like layers. Well, it's the TV show version of Essos. You can tell because of the continent ends. And the book version of Essos, the continent Essos just keeps on going. You don't see the end of it. You don't see the east coast of Essos. But in the show version, there is an east coast of it. And you can see it. Jake and peed on this puzzle <laughs> we never finished it for obvious reasons it's kind of warped and stank so we decided that meant he was a book purist he's like i don't care for this tv version of essos eh. so maybe we haven't asked him to act out scenes but he has his own kind of mentality with regards to the books and show and i think it's just you heard it here first <laughs> Jacob's gotta just let loose over Essos. That's, that's a good theory. Yes, watch out for f the faceless man activity <laughs> in Essos. They might be peeing all over a number of nations, so to speak. And um, But he's also one time, we had a, the, the same puzzle, the same version of that puzzle for Westeros, which is, you know, TV show and book. Or, I don't <laughs> think there's any real differences there in that map. And he just tore it apart. He grabbed, he bit Dragonstone and pulled it off the map and carried it away and chewed it up. So he, which was clever. He knew where the Targaryen seat of power was. He went right for Dragonstone. Smart cat. Anyway, smart but destructive cat. None of the other cats are that destructive. All the cats we have, we have rules around the house for keeping cats out of thing. All the rules are for that cat. None of the other cats matter. They all don't, they all behave right, but he's the bad one. <laughs> um, here we have from Melanie Patrick. What is Aziz's favorite kind of birthday cake? I'm a, definitely a chocolate guy. I like dark chocolate. I like mint a lot. I'm a big mint chocolate chip ice cream cake kind of dude. Those are, yeah. I don't want to talk about that too much because I'm going to want to go leave the stream and go eat birthday cake. <laughs> but no, yeah, I'm a, I'm a chocolate guy. I'm a coffee guy. I'm a mint guy. Not necessarily in that order and not necessarily combined. Uh, Lore Master, what bands do you like? I'm a metal fan myself. Favorite metal bands. Yes, I am a metal fan. I'm very much a fan of heavy metal. I grew up around a lot of classical music. My mother is a is the viola professor at Florida State. But some of you will maybe 
going to think this is a funny statement and others will be like, yep, totally true. Um, and it's kind of maybe comes down to whether you've heard this concept before or not. But metal and classical have a lot in common, not in tone, not in sound, but in intensity and in style and in um, the way a lot of it's written. So and in musicality, metal is among the, you know, like any genre, there's variety and, and difficulty. But metal is one of those genres that has people who are really, really, really good at their instruments, sometimes at the at the expense of you know having feel you know sometimes sometimes they you know get the two together that bridge when you get the two just right when you're really amazing at what you do you study and play really well and you're really creative when those things come together that's awesome i so as far as specifics i'm a big fan of mastodon i love the sword the sword has songs about game of thrones in fact it's one of the reasons i discovered them is they have a song called to take the black i'm actually friends with them Whenever they come to town, I get to hang out with them backstage and we, we, we you know, I get, I, every once in a while they let me pick a few songs for what they're going to play. Like I get to help with the set list occasionally. I'm a big fan of the band High on Fire. And funny story there, I was talking to LML, you know, the, of Mythical Astronomy of Ice and Fire. One day I told him I was going to see High on Fire live and he said, oh, I know them. Go say hi to the bass player. His name's Jeff. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I've, I've heard of him. I never met him before. And he's like, yeah, I know him. I made his pedal. So there you go. A little plug for, for uh, Mythical Astronomy, a little plug for LML. He has a side business called Brimstone Audio. He makes guitar pedals, and the bassist for High on Fire uses David's distortion pedal, one that he made. I don't know if he still uses it, but I, he probably still does, and I've heard all their albums, and his bass sound is awesome, so two thumbs up there. So I really like a lot of, I really like metal bands that have a lot of that virtuosity, but also that have you know, the creativity. Like I said, I'm, I used to be a big Metallica fan. I've kind of fallen off on them. I'm not as into their, you know, more recent stuff, but I was really into them in their early days when they were pure thrash metal. As far as non-metal stuff, I'm very much into, um, I'm, I like a wide variety of stuff. I know everybody likes to say that, but I like a good bit of hip hop. I like a good bit of classical. The only things I don't like are opera. I don't really like musicals. I don't like pop country or any really, you know, pop music. A lot of pop music I don't like. I don't like pop rap. I like rap but i don't like pop rap i don't like pop rock i like rock i don't like pop metal i like metal like most of the pop stuff i don't like but some of it is you know catchy stuff is, is good i like catchy stuff um, i'm not a, like a snob or anything like that maybe i am i just don't i wouldn't call myself one but maybe i am <laughs> anyway so yeah but i as a i grew up around music i love music so it's a big you know it's a pretty big part of my life i like um i i have a hard time working on a song of ice and fire scripts without music i am a bit of a scatterbrain, but music helps me focus, which is for some people, that's the opposite. You could think of like, like aggressive, you know, energetic music would be distracting. But for me, it just helps my mind from wandering. Like the, the wandering part of my brain focuses on the music, keeps it distracted. So the part of my brain that's trying to write and think can be left alone. So that's how I describe it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure that's not a very scientific answer, but that's how I like to describe it. Stephanie Vale says, you playing guitar with Sean dancing. Oh, I'd have to come up with something that Sean could dance to. Uh, classical guitar, like I could do the, I could do a little flamenco. I, I practice a little rascado and a little tapping. <laughs> that would be cool. History of Westeros presents <laughs> something entirely different. <laughs> no Song of Ice and Fire today. Dancing and music. From Tracy McMillan. Super chat. Thank you, Lady Air Airdross. Happy name day, Sir Aziz. No Arbor Gold to hand, to hand, so toasting you with the finest Scottish lager. Well done. What are your plans for when Winds is finally released? Good question. We have, this is something we've talked about for a while because, um, of course, the, the possibility of Winds has been looming for years now. We, we've never been one of those. We're, you know, since I've been through the, the long waits twice, I waited for Feast and waited for Dance. 
this is something I'm, I'm pretty used to it. I'm not one of those people that's like, God, when will it come out? I've never felt that way. I'm always like, sure would be nice to have that book. But also at the same time, I, I, I'm, I am a little bit overwhelmed with how we're going to handle it. The fandom is so much different now than when it was when Dance came out. Because Dance came out about a few months after the TV show. So it was basically, they were almost at the same time. They were almost concurrent. So people, there in other words, we haven't had a book come out after the time when the TV show has made Game of Thrones so popular. So it's going to be really different. It's going to be an instant bestseller that is just a top seller for a long time instead of an instant bestseller that does really well that a lot of people haven't heard of. You know? Because a lot of bestsellers, no one's heard of. Because it's it's just books. Like, I mean, there's there's so many, right? The same as TV shows. I mean, there's a lot of TV shows none of us have ever heard of. <laughs> and there's, some of them are really well critically acclaimed and popular. And it just goes to show how many channels and TV shows are. It's the same with books. There's just so many. You can't keep up with them all. But Game of Thrones is so popular now that it's it's too mainstream that anything that happens with it is it reverberates throughout our fandom unless it's something really tiny. But, of course, something as huge as the next book coming out, there's no way anyone's going to miss that. So as far as my our plans, I don't know. We we do not know how best to approach the new material. I really don't. I'm it's a good problem to have. I'm sure we'll come up with something. We'll probably have a lot of live streams where we handle it like, "Hey, let's just discuss the first few chapters or let's discuss the book as a whole." And then we'll start to script things once we kind of get it all together. Once we start to get a handle on that, once we get it in our minds and figure out once it's solid, right, then we'll start doing more scripted stuff. But I think at first we'll have a lot of discussion episodes and just hang out with you guys and just handle questions and feel our way through it all. Because a lot of a lot of the ways you learn is when someone comes up with a good question and in trying to answer that question, you go places where your brain hadn't previously gone. Sometimes you know something really well, but you fig you learn it better when you actually sit down to explain it to somebody else. You never realize how you missed something until you speak to it. And sometimes it just kind of comes out. So we're going to learn a lot by discussing. That's, 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 I'm going to take advantage of that concept as much as possible. And, and we'll all capitalize on our, on our own interests. We're all going to be so fired up. So like, yes, finally. We're going to be so interested. So I expect that we'll just foster a lot of fantastic discussions. And over time, those discussions will turn into solid, scriptable things that we can make presentations off of. And I don't know how we're going to start. I don't know how we're going to start. We're, we're going to start off by just doing, oh, here's some new history tidbits we learned. Probably not. We'll probably start with the main plot lines and just like reacting to everything that's happened because there's going to be so much. So again, I'm slightly intimidated by the Winds of Winter coming out, but in an entirely good way, just mostly because it's going to be a good problem to have. But I am also like, man, what are we going to do? <laughs> How are we going to handle this? And I know a lot of other YouTubers and podcasters are feeling that same thing. They're like... Well, I know it's going to be great, but I don't know exactly know how <laughs> we're going to handle it. You said that a lot of different ways. I did. I said the same thing about 12 different ways. <laughs> a question from a uh, super chat from Richard Tabor. Uh, favorite metal riff? Ooh, that's really hard. I'm bad at picking favorites of anything. I'm bad at top fives and top tens because um, I just see so many possibilities and I, I, I can't I can't narrow them down, especially on the fly. But I'll, I'll name a few that are up there. I'll name it. I'll do a loose top five in no order. And these are maybe I'll, I'll probably an hour from now, I'll be like, oh, wait, but also, but we'll just have to go with what I have now. Uh, I'm going to say to take the black by the sword since I mentioned that earlier. That is a fantastic riff. It's really uh, haunting and, and kind of really fits the genre of A Song of Ice and Fire really well. And I really like the riff a curl, uh, uh, Iron Tusk by Mastodon, which is a cr really 
unusual tuning that they use. They have a, a standard D standard tuning, but the top string, which is would normally in D standard tuning be a D, which is a whole step lower than a standard guitar, is dropped all the way to A. So it's really low. And it's just a really, I love really low riffs like that. Another one is um, The Messenger by Black Cobra. And that's a two-piece band that if you hear them, you'll be surprised they're a two-piece because it's just a guitar. It's a guitar and drums, but it's, he, he does all these things with his amp to create extra reverberations and octaves and things like that. So it sounds like it's two or three guitars and it's really just one. There's not even a bass guitar. Um, another one would be, let's see if I can think of something classic. I really like... A lot of, I was a huge Led Zeppelin fan back in the day. I don't listen to them as much anymore, but I really, really like um, the song uh, off of Physical Graffiti, uh, The Rover. Oh man, that's a great riff. I love The Rover. And let's see, number five. Ooh, it's always hard. When you're doing a list of no particular order, number five is always the hardest because you realize you don't get to, you only get to add one more to the list. <laughs> so maybe I'll pick, oh, the band Clutch. The band Clutch is one of my favorites. They're uh, kind of a, old school punk band that morphed into a blues rock band and, and in between they were something else that it's hard to describe. And that's a band I've seen more than anybody. Um, I've at least not exaggerating. I've seen them 25 or more times and uh, they also tour a lot. So it's made it kind of easy on us, but they come through here a lot too. So I would, out of their songs, I would go with the song, uh, probably the song swollen goat <laughs> or perhaps the song, um, the house that Peter built, which is Peter built spelled like the truck company Peter built the tire company because it's a song. It's a kind of a slightly off kilter song about truckers <laughs> in a in a silly way. He's also my favorite lyricist, Neil from Clutch. Uh, next question is Aniki Andre Shea again. What's it like meeting and talking to George R. Martin in person? Okay, well Shea and I have both met George a few times, and unsurprisingly, and this is not a slam on George. <laughs> But George never remembers me and usually remembers her. <laughs> and I'm not, again, not not hating at all on that. I would probably do the same. I would probably also remember her and not me if I were him. But uh, he is very, very laid back. I mean, the guy is really easy to talk to unless you're a weirdo. Like he's, okay, this is our first experience with George. Con Carolinas, right? Was this Con Carolinas? I sometimes, no. I think it was. Anyway, it might have been Mr. Con. Was it con? No, it was Con Carolinas. Anyway, it isn't, it isn't, I forget which con it was, but uh, the, the anecdote itself I have solid in my mind, but the cons themselves kind of become a blur as to which, which was which. So we're hanging out in a con party, which is just a, just a room. People at cons throw parties in their hotel rooms. And this is a small con, maybe 500 people, so not, not particularly large. There's only maybe, maybe like a less than a third of people at the con are going to start going to parties. And these are, you know fandom parties so they're not particularly raucous they're people talking about nerd stuff and maybe having a few drinks but even half the people there aren't even drinking alcohol and so that's what this is my that's my scene i like that you know i don't i'm not against alcohol but i'm not a big drinker either i like you know a little bit moderation perfect for me and george just came in he just walked into this party just a regular hotel room party there's probably 20 people in here and he just walks in and people just kind of like freeze up and are like oh hey and he came in with his assistant raya raya is one of um is actually on the on the Stark family tree because Rhea is an anagram for Arya. I don't think that was where the name Arya came from, but there's a Rhea Stark in the Stark family tree in the World of Ice and Fire, and we are 99% sure that's that's named after her. Rhea Golden, who's an artist, yeah, illustrator. Rhea Golden, yeah, she's actually done art for the uh, the card game, the the Game of Thrones card game made by Fantasy Flight Games. 
So yeah, she, she's talented as well. And she's pretty outgoing in person anyway. And she and Ashea kind of hit it off right away. And George just kind of went into the corner and sat down, grabbed a beer and a circle kind of formed around him. And he was just talking about stuff. People were asking him questions and he was just kind of holding court. You know, he was real laid back, real unassuming, not the slightest trace of arrogance. It was really fun. He just talked about what cons were like in the seventies. He was like, yeah, cons now versus cons in the seventies. Very different. And the reason he got on this topic was because some broy dude in a tank, in a wife beater leans over the bed, like kind of forces his way through a little bit. He's like, Hey George, will you sign my chest? And George just kind of looks up at him and gives him the side eye and is like, no. And go and then starts talking about going back to his story and then talks about how he signed a lot of breasts in the 70s and how once someone asked him to sign their penis and he also turned that down, just like he turned down the chest. But he said, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. People don't ask for breast signings so much. And he was like, I'm way more famous now, but no one asked me to do that anymore. <laughs> and uh, so then we, um, partly because the hit it off so well with Rhea, we were invited to go hang out in his hotel room with about four or five other people who were in the BWB, people that George has known in the fandom for a long time because they've been around since, you know, well before us even, since like the late 90s. So we hung out in his room and uh, mostly he was talking politics with somebody else in the corner for a while and we just all told stories in a group and he gave us some food. He gave us like, because people come to him and when he when they get stuff signed, he they give gifts to him and some people just bring baked goods. And so George had a ton of baked goods. He was like, here, take these blondies. Yes. I have all these baked goods. And he gave us a beer. He gave us a, a like a craft beer that we didn't open. I kept it as a souvenir. We've got it sitting up in a kitchen. And um, a couple other times we've had dinner with him. So we that was a little, little less personal, but you know, the dinner was like 20 people. So it was still just... I sat right next to him. And Shag, I sat right next to him. I had a person in between me and him. And um, we had barbecue. It was really good. And George talked a lot about different things. He talked about naming stuff after H.P. Lovecraft. And he talked about the the Hugo Award, which is a big, big, you know, big topic for him. How there's been a lot of shenanigans. If you don't know, I don't want to get into that. But there's been this, this whole movement of kind of trolly people who are, have taken it upon themselves to kind of impact how the Hugo Awards works. And a lot of traditionalists are like against it. Anyway, I don't need to get into all that. Anyway, he had a lot to say about that. And uh, so basically that was a long, very long story. But he's really, really friendly in person. When you, when you, get thing, when you, when you ask him to sign things... Uh, actually, I'll say one more thing. When we were at that... I think it was the same convention. It might have been a different one. We were, at, we were standing in line to get something signed. And the line was moving a little bit slow. And... We were also standing outside. It was a little bit uncomfortable because it was kind of hot. We were worried we weren't going to get there in time. Even though we got there, we showed up fairly early. And then one of the con workers comes out and says, if anyone's worried about not getting to George in time because this line is moving a little slowly, do not worry. George has said he will extend the signing and everyone will get their book signed. And this is, again, this is after the TV show has been famous for several years. This is not prior to the TV show. So George has already made millions and millions of dollars, as he puts it, truckloads of money. And... Is famous, is, you know, his opinion is sought after on a number of things. He's a star, basically. And he's still just, it, it really is true that, I mean, I'm sure money's changed him somewhat. Like, it's not like I knew him before, but it didn't make him arrogant. It didn't make him a jerk. It didn't make him unpleasant to be around. The opposite, if anything, it's the opposite. He's he's very pleasant. I mean, obviously, my experience is, you know, other people's mileage may vary, and I've seen him be cranky. You know, we saw him one time. He got up. He came to a Q&A. He was a little, little gruff. He occasionally answered a question before someone finished it because it was a question he's heard a million times. Like, like 
I've seen both of these things happen. George, who's your favorite character? Oh, my favorite character, Tyrion, because this, this, this. And I've also seen, who's your favorite Tyrion? <laughs> Before they even got the word out of, next question. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, he's human. You know, he's, he's some, imagine, you know, when you travel around and go to cons, sometimes you only get four hours sleep and you're going to be a little cranky. And you're like, man, I've heard that question 10,000 times. And it's kind of frustrating to us in the audience too. It's like, have you, why don't you look up other Q&As that George has done and just look the answer to that question up. Do you really think you're the first person to ask that question? You know, come on. Like, And one time we had a moderator, the most annoying moderator ever that was, hey, George, is Jon Snow really dead? And everyone in the audience is like, did he really just ask that stupid question? And George just tried to slug it off like, yeah, ha ha, you know, you know I'm not going to say that. And the guy's like, two minutes later, he's like, no, really, George, is Jon Snow dead? And we're like, dude, shut up. <laughs> a, he's not going to answer it. Two, Shut up. <laughs> so let, let people who have good questions go. Anyway. Uh, next question is G's name taken. Where is Sean? How did you meet? Sean is at work right now. And I met Sean through that same friend, Rudy, whose sister, Nancy, connected me to Steve, who started History of Westeros. So y'all should be thinking of Rudy as some sort of behind-the-scenes important person for making all this happen because I guess it's, it's kind of true. Yeah, Sean's, um, uh, and through Magic the Gathering, the earlier question about Magic the Gathering, that's how I met Rudy. And Rudy's friend, Sean, our Sean, Sean of House Beard, they know each other since high school. They were buddies. They grew up together in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, which is a military town. Sean's uh, got a military background. He was a, in paratrooper school. Sean has jumped out of airplanes many times. And uh, they, yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, coming up in, military town stories that they could tell uh, save those for some other time when sean can tell them and uh, so i've known him for 20 years long time joe jessup question how do you think euron subdued the warlocks and why were the warlocks traveling with so much shade of the evening well it's part of it's, it's sort of like um i want to almost say it's sort of like maybe marijuana to a rasta where it's part of their religious experience you know it's it's actually part of connecting to their beliefs and, and of course in this case it's not so spiritual. It's a little less spiritual, a little more creepy. Well, I wouldn't say Ross is creepy at all. This is totally creepy. That's the big difference. That the warlocks are creepy and cruel and borderline evil, whereas, you know, most stoners are just, you know, want to hang out and, you know, have some snacks and listen to music. So in that, so that it's very dissimilar in that sense, but it's, it's certainly, there's many religious traditions that include drugs, um, or, you know, for lack of a better word, just mind altering substances. And, uh, that's part of what they do. This is part of, it's, it's like opening their mind to the possibilities, whatever, and whatever this specifically means. We're all familiar with the concept of mind altering substances, at least maybe not from personal experience, but from, you know, the idea of it's, it's very similar to like LSD or mushrooms, you know, in that sphere of similarity. Not like, obviously, I don't know exactly. I've <laughs> never taken shade of the evening before. But uh, he, why were they traveling? That's why they were traveling with so much because it's part of their, you know, belief system. And they, and partly as well as they're probably addicted to it. You know, it, it, it's like a lot of drugs, there's a, there's a good chance it's addictive. Um, and that's why their lips turn blue because they do it so often and they like it. It's actually a pleasurable thing in, in, in general, despite, uh, in, aside from it just being part of their religion. And, uh, and how do we think he subdued them? I think he subdued them with pure violence, just with threat and actual use of, of weapons. Uh, they're not, it's not like they can cast spells, right? They can't do, they were, I mean, Danny... A, a young girl just 
upended a thousand or more years of this this house existing with her baby dragon just blowing them all away with a couple of gouts of flame. They're not very powerful. And they they had been powerful. As Pi as um Zarazo and Daxa says, the warlocks used to be powerful. And the return of magic might be the return of some of their power. But we haven't really seen that. They haven't done anything terribly potent. Those dream those those dreams and those visions in the House of the Undying were those were potent. They were strong. But they weren't like controlling in a sense of like you do what we say or else. You know, Euron has that. Y'all are going to do what I say, or I'm going to cut you up and feed you to each other. And he literally did that. He cut Piat Pri up, or maybe one of the others. It's not entirely clear, because in the Forsaken chapter, one of them is saying Pri, Pri. We're not sure if that's him, or he's just saying that because he ate Piat Pri. We're not really sure. But in any case, he broke them. He tortured them to the point where they were psychologically broken and unwilling to resist him anymore. They're not, they're just not all there anymore. He, he tortured them so badly that they can't resist. Jesse knows. Favorite Rush song? Subdivisions. I love Subdivisions. I like Rush quite a lot. I think um, Red Barchetta would be up there. I also really like Jacob's Ladder. And I've seen Rush live in, um, and it wasn't that long ago. And it was probably five years ago. It was pretty early in the podcast days. It was in Las Vegas because uh, I used to, like I said, I used to be a professional poker player and I would sometimes go out to the World Series of Poker, although I was mostly an online player. So I, I didn't, uh, the World Series wasn't a big deal to me, but it was a good place to hang out and have fun. And there was a lot of good games there. There was also just happened to be a rush show there. And my friend Eric and I went and it was a great show. It was also kind of funny because at the same time as rush show, there was an there was an uh, EDC, which is Electric Daisy Carnival. That's, that's what it stands for, right? Uh -huh. And uh, so there were all these, like, much younger girls wearing very little, you know, wearing, like, furry stuff and, like, rave costumes. And then just a bunch of, like, older dudes in black rock shirts with beards. <laughs> it's like, wait, well, how are these people all together? This doesn't... What's going on here? So that was really fun. And they, they didn't have an opening band. But they did have a sketch... Of Paul Rudd and uh, Jason, Jason Siegel from that from the movie. Uh, um, forget that movie. But when they're I both, love you, man. I love you, man. When they're both obsessed, they're both their characters in that movie are obsessed with Rush. So they did a sketch where they actually go backstage and meet it's Rush. A really good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's really funny. And uh, but I, I saw the sketch before I'd seen the movie, unfortunately, so I didn't fully get it. But I knew Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel, so it was still funny. But they're just going back there and they're goofing around and they have filmed the skit with Getty and Alex and, and Neil. And they're just like fanboying out. And like, oh, I touched his base. And oh, it's this sandwich was prepared for Getty Lee. And it was good stuff. Good times. And a really good show. Really huge. They played, for, they played two sets. So, yeah, good stuff. What are your favorite podcasts outside of A Song of Ice and Fire? Good question from Patalian. Thank you for that question. I love talking about... My other favorite podcasts. Um, so outside of A Song of Ice and Fire was the question. So my the first podcast I ever got into was Hardcore History. And I have definitely tried to emulate Dan Carlin in some ways. Because he is... He does something that on, you know, if you... That sounds kind of incredible. Which is he is able to keep people listening intently for up to six hours at a time. Some of his episodes are that long. And he got into the podcast space really early, like more than 10 years ago, when most people hadn't even heard of a podcast. By the time we started podcasting at History of Westeros, he had a light, like a literally a bigger catalog than most people still have now. 
um, already back then. And of course, he's been churning them out since, uh, although he doesn't put them out very often because they're so long. He often only, sometimes he'll go through a whole year and only put out a couple episodes. But those two episodes will be, you know, eight to ten hours long total. And so it's still almost like an hour a month or so. Um, so he's he was kind of the gold standard and a lot of people follow his pattern. So the whole idea of being in, keeping people in, in, uh, entertained for that long, he does that by being enthusiastic the whole time. History, one of his things is like, he, he doesn't understand why so many kids go through high school and college thinking history is boring. It doesn't make sense. History is full of amazing stories. And he's like, if you taught history differently, if the standard way to teach history was to kind of emphasize some of the cool parts and, you know, bring the learning, you know, follow along with the learning, kind of use the, the cool parts to kind of get the learning through the door, it would just be a lot more effective because history is full of amazing stories. But I, for what I remember in secondary school is being taught to memorize capitals and stuff like that, which is just like, that's really not that useful out in the world, <laughs> you know, but learning how history works is very useful out in the real world, learning trends and, you know, societal shifts and the history of politics and, you know, like things we're seeing in politics now we've seen before with just different circumstances and different technology back backing it. So um, that's something that I just, I could go on and on about that. But the question is what my other favorite podcast, not why is history podcasting great? <laughs> so my other, some of my other favorites are History on Fire, which is the great podcaster, Daniele Bellelli, who I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we're going to be doing a co-episode with, a, uh, a collaboration with. Also big fan of the history, or the Pirate History Podcast and the History of Pirates Podcast. So two different podcasts. One of them is, uh, doesn't put out episodes very often, but the ones he's done are very good. That's by Craig Buddy. The other is Matt Albers, and we've had him as a guest on our other show, Fandom Media. And because we talked about the show Black Sails, which has a lot of historical accuracy to it. You know, it's a TV show, so of course there's plenty of stuff that isn't accurate, but surprisingly accurate in a lot of ways. And um, so I'm a big into a lot of, as you can see, the, the trend is here. I've named exclusively history podcasts. Some non-history podcasts I listen to include a lot of baseball podcasts. I love fan, a lot of different Fangraphs podcasts. So... Yeah, so if you're not into baseball, this is going to be really boring. But I like a lot of baseball podcasts. If you want to know more about which baseball podcasts I like, email me separately at westrushistoryatgmail.com. I won't get into that too much here. But we have another kitty here. Here's our Casanova. Here's our little silver buddy. This is Xerxes' his brother, and he does not want to be here right now. He wanted to be on me, but... But uh, I just wanted you all to see that. <laughs> so he doesn't sit still. And as far as other, I'm trying to think if I listen to any other podcasts. Oh, I listen to a couple of, I don't, I'm not a, you know, one of the most popular genres of podcasts is the true crime, true crime, true crime genre, which I'm not too into, but there are a few shows I like. I like some of the less, no, lesser known ones. I like a show called Most Notorious. And I also like a show called History of Organized Crime, which is kind of a new show. It's not very popular. It's only got like 20 episodes, but it's a really tight presentation. And he jumps around to a lot of different good topics that mostly stuff I didn't know about. I really like a lot of, um, crime stories, but not true crime. I like gangster story, mafia stories. I'm, I'm interested in that. That's kind of a somewhat hobby of mine. I need to do some more reading on that and kind of round myself out more. Um, Sunkyo Ship, next question here. Who are some of your favorite YouTubers slash podcasters to collab with and who would you like to work with in the future? Okay, two-part question. I haven't had anyone we, there's been nobody we've worked with that I didn't enjoy the process with. Um, I'm usually kind of careful about who I work with. That That's part of it. 
So I can't, but at the same time, so there's nobody I would say a negative thing about in terms of working with. But I will say that everyone does it in different ways. Um, you know, working with Stephen Atwell is different than working with David Beers, LML, or, and that's different than working with Jeff Hartline, and that's different than working with Radio Westeros. They all have their own styles, and I have, we've all been able to fuse our styles when we work together to, you know, come up with some good stuff. I'm not sure I have a favorite, but I really like working with Radio Westeros because they're they're laid back and un unassuming and they like and we get along really well. We're friends. We've been friends for a while. And, you know, we, we talk, you know, about non uh, Song of Ice and Fire stuff all the time on Skype, etc. And it's great that Yoke Boy is getting himself moved to the U.S. So we get to see him more often at cons. I'm not sure. I so I'm not sure I have a favorite. I would have if you were to if we were to narrow down like who who has my favorite voice or who has my favorite like intro music, uh, that would you know I could probably name some favorites that way. Um, as far as who I have not worked with that we would like to work with, that's a tough one. A couple of names we scratched off that list recently. Jar I didn't. George R. R. Martin. Yes, it says good call, good call. We'd like to work with George R. R. Martin in any capacity possible, um, but I guess he's. Only barely considered a podcaster. He, I've said this before. George R. R. Martin does have a podcast. It's not active. He did eight episodes back in like 2006. And they're pretty short. About 20 minutes. But they're good. They're worth listening to. And you can find them on his website. They're not... I don't think they're on... I don't even think them... I don't even think you can find them on iTunes anymore. Because they're so old and so... They're not They're not actually very good quality. There's like... They're kind of staticky. They're not bad. But you'll be a little surprised to hear something coming from George R. R. Martin that's... A podcast and it's, it's kind of you know the audio quality isn't great it might be a little surprising but it's not bad and the the content is good it's interesting to hear his thoughts one of them came out right when feast for crows came out and he actually talks a lot about his process for feast for crows and how the, the prologue was really difficult for him and of course i did one of my aziz first chapters on that very prologue where i talk about some of that stuff so some of you have heard this already um so someone else we haven't worked i, I recently got to work with elio though it wasn't on our show, I did get to work with him. That was fun. And we hadn't worked with Joanna Robinson until, you know, about two months ago. That was one we we um, had been meaning to do for a while. And there's definitely some other people. I've I've gone back and forth a little bit with um, Ideas of Ice and Fire. We, we sort of tried to hook up during the season, and that just didn't work out timing-wise. And we'll probably try that again some other time. He's into some, uh, some Nana Song of Ice and Fire stuff that I'm also into, like Lovecraft. And uh, he's really big into Dune and... I like Dune a lot. I'm, I don't know nearly as much about it as he does, but that would be a cool thing to collaborate on, maybe. A lot of things. That's something I just love about this community. It's really easy to collaborate. I mean, the technology with the webcams and the recording devices makes it very, very easy, relatively speaking. I mean, you have to learn how to do it. But once you know how to do it, it's, it's, it can be tedious, it can be tricky, but it's not exactly hard. So it, it fosters a lot of, of that sort of thing, which is, I really like that. It's great. Um, so I, I, I'm sorry that was not a great answer because uh, I don't know who, I'm trying to think about the people we haven't worked with yet. And Tom I'm mentioned Secrets of the Citadel. Secrets of the Citadel, yeah. We interact on on Twitter and um, we've talked about some doing some stuff, but it has nothing's really materialized yet. Um, and I've done stuff with Raw Wrist and Because Geek and... I want to hook. Oh, that's another one. We wanted to. We wanted to do something with Smokescreen because um, we we got to hang out with him at Con of Thrones. He's a really great guy, really down to earth, really fun. And um, he was going to be on one of our end of the season streams, but he had uh, it fell through. Um, we had to, it just didn't work out because of something. He had weather issues, storms. It was this, the the hurricanes that was actually <laughs> played a role in sinking that opportunity. But well, there'll be more opportunities. Uh, 
from Hira Gikawai. Nappy birthday, Aziz. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the way you said that. <laughs> Nothing to ask. Just wanted to say that I like your and Shea's Crusader Kings episodes and can't wait for more. Yeah. One of the reasons we, we're trying to, f we got to figure out a little bit wetter, better way to set those up. I like what we did, but with the one problem with the Crusader Kings streams is we have all the like streaming software on Shea's computer. So if I'm streaming a game, she can't be using her computer, which is a little awkward. So we need to get, it, ideally we're going to try to also install some of that same stuff on my computer so that we don't, you know, doesn't, we don't have to schedule her not having, Shea, when you, when's the time when you aren't going to be working on schoolwork and not doing this other stuff so I can play a game? <laughs> you know, it's a little, uh, we need to do a few things behind the scenes to make those a little more feasible more often. Um, and the great thing about them is we don't have to do any preparation. We can just sit down, start streaming. Y'all can tune in. We can enjoy ourselves, talk to each other, have fun. And it doesn't take any time away from our process of scripting episodes, which is still, you know, that's our bread and butter, the scripted episodes. But it's good to do fun stuff in between that doesn't uh, take away time from the main projects. And I think the Crusader King stream is a perfect example of that. So I'm, I'm excited to do more of those. And I'm excited to see which which house you guys want me to play. Because there's so many possibilities. Thunderclap. How does Robert Aaron have nightmares when he takes so much sweet sleep? Well, I, as I understand it, the sweet sleep isn't something that he was being given through his whole life. It's been something that's more recently been given to him. I think he's been, he was, because, partly because he wasn't diagnosed with the nightmares when he was early on. But I guess it's just because it's not strong enough. He just has really bad nightmares. The drugs aren't strong enough. Um, I, I know that this is almost a medical question. <laughs> and I think it's, I think that's my best guess. I, there could be something else going on. There could be something magical going on. He might have some special blood. It might be some weird genetics going on in the background there. The problem is the, the veil is very disconnected from the Weirwood network. So I, I have some problem seeing him as connected to that particular magic sphere. I know some people have theorized that that's what he's seeing is that he's got skin changer genes or something. And that's why he's having these dreams. He's dreaming about being inside other animals or he's hearing Marillion and these other things that maybe don't make sense without magic. So unfortunately for him, I don't think we're ever going to learn the truth of that because sweet sleep is also a poison. And sweet sleep, if you take too much of it, like aspirin, you will die. And uh, uh, unlike aspirin, it will be a sort of a pleasant death. You'll just kind of drift off and be gone. Whereas apparently with, if you take that much aspirin, it can be, yeah, I don't, anyway. Um, so I, I think that the, the, the whole in, uh, inclination or incrimination here is that Littlefinger is having the maester give him more and more of it. And eventually he's just going to die because they're not going to need him anymore. They're, he's a pawn, you know, Robert Aaron is a pawn and... Once he's married to somebody else, that might they may not need him anymore. They may be like, well, now kind of like how once John Aaron died, Lysa was in charge of the Vale. If Robert Aaron marries some person, well, a woman, <laughs> and uh, dies well before he can have kids, then by the same regard, that woman will then be Lady of the Eerie, and because there won't be some other Aaron to take over, there won't be a descendant of Roberts to take over uh, to inherit and and throw his weight around. So. That could be what Littlefinger's after is just maintaining control of the veil by manipulating the various people who are in charge of it. Like he manipulated John Aaron, like he manipulated Lysa even more. And like he is very manip much manipulating um, Robert Aaron and Sansa and pretty much everybody. Loremaster, has your love of reading fantasy ever made you consider writing as well? Yes. In fact, I have done some world building and have even written a few small parts. I have a... Uh, I can tell... I'll try to keep this brief. I have a... a a concept for a world that has 
It's sort of, it's post-apocalyptic, but not scientific post-apocalyptic, like magical apocalypse, um, which is a common enough trope, but I've, I think I've done, my idea is a little bit, is different enough in some ways that it's not uh, too standard. The concept being that there's a, a giant flood and there's these really huge mountains. And so some of these mountains are not, uh, uh, some of the different cultures develop because there's people who move to the higher up in mountains to, to live out these floods, which last for generations. And, uh, other people live in in caves and stuff. So you have these different elements of a great civilization that have been that's been destroyed, and certain different pieces of different cultures all have pieces of it. And you have things like one idea I have is people that are carving runes inside these caves, and they don't have they don't have paper anymore. So they're, they're, the knowledge, the collected knowledge of this great civilization is being lost for for logistical reasons. Like they have the knowledge, but they literally cannot write it down because they don't have any more paper nor the means to make it. So they start carving. So they start simplifying. So their knowledge gets lost because they're simplifying it. They have to carve things into the walls, and you can't be that nuanced and thorough when you're doing rock carvings, and you actually run out of room. <laughs> You can't just carve the entire history of your people if you don't have enough cave space for it. So that, some seedling ideas like that. It's, it's very far from a, a full thing. But I've been tossing around a lot of ideas like warrior culture stuff, like a whole subculture that goes and dives beneath the waves and looks for lost artifacts from this ancient civilization. And that creates all sorts of opportunity for, for narrative changes. Like, oh, they found this thing. They found this thing. Or... They found this device or who knows. So, uh, yeah, so I definitely have, uh, I, I don't know that I have enough motivation or energy to go into writing because I know how hard it is. Just writing scripts is really hard. Writing fiction, just I have a lot of sympathy for George and taking his time because of just how hard it is for me. And what he's doing is so much harder. <laughs> All right, from the Snow and Winterfell. Hey, Lord Mark, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. He says, happy birthday, Aziz. Hope you and Ashea both have a wonderful day. Can't hang out today. Is dad's birthday. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I share my birthday with your father. That's cool. But wanted to say, hey, new art is dope. Yes, we are very happy with the new art, art for your dragon. Glad you and your family like it. Mark has told us that he has, we send uh, the Dragon Rider patrons get the originals when we can get them and send them over. And he's told us that he has framed all the artwork of the different three versions of his dragon and his family really loves it. And they can kind of consider it their like family mascot. So that, that just, uh, that's just great. We love that. That's awesome. This is another facet of our community that's gone well. Samantha Coopersmith. Ash, could you have Aziz say how amazing women in STEM like yourself are? Great career choice. Also, I'm a patron supporter. Some self-promotion for yourselves? Yep, yep. We do. Um, we certainly like to um, flaunt our lovely patrons because you guys are great and it's we're eternally thankful. But yeah, um, did you want to say anything about that, Ashea? No, I replied. I just oh, she replied in chat. In the chat. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for the question, Samantha. And uh, yes, again, Ashea is the best. Still true. <laughs> Not hyperbole. Anthony Ferrugia, what's your favorite non-Song of Ice and Fire work by George R. Martin? Dying of the Light. Yes, I have not read all of his other stuff, but I have read a significant amount of it. I haven't read Armageddon Rag, for example, and I haven't read Skin Trade, but I have read, um, uh, for example, the two main ones I've read that I think are the most popular are Fever Dream and Dying of the Light, and uh, there's a lot of sh various short stories, which I can't remember all the names of them, but I've read a lot of those too. Um, I've read Night Flyers. And okay, so, so Dying of the Light, just real briefly, it's a sci-fi novel set in a very like advanced earthen civilization that's expanded throughout the stars. And civilization is wealthy enough to the point where there's this planet that broke orbit from some sun way somewhere, who knows where it came from, but it's passing through habitable space. And it's they determined that it would 
slowly pass through like the known area of the galaxy where humans inhabit at a phase of about 200 years. So in about 200 years, this planet will pass out of, of the living sphere again. So people decided, even though it was only going to be there 200 years, people decided to build stuff on it and live there. So when a story takes place, this planet is just beginning, entering that decline phase where it's going to soon be out of the light, dying of the light. It won't be, it won't have sunlight anymore. And so all these human structures that are built there are going to go. It's, in some ways, it's a very bleak novel. There's like an entire planet. It starts with this planet, this whole planet. And there's like 12 people on the whole planet. <laughs> Can you imagine the whole planet has twelve, like twelve? It's a little. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's it's a tiny population, and there's all sorts. He George's world building again is amazing. Like that's just a taste. But the things he, he does, the detail he added to that world, and the reason certain people are there, and some of the native flora and fauna, it's it's fantastic. Fever Dream also very good. Some, I think I think I've seen out in the world more people tell you that Fever Dream is is their favorite than than Dying in the Light. So I think I'm in the minority. I think the one that people have said is the most popular is Fever Dream. So that one might be more up some people's alley. And that is a Mississippi riverboat 1860s era vampire story. It's it's quality. It's it's dark. It's Louisiana. It's got that feel, that southern feel. And it's it's solid. It's a good story. Mulgazorus, what are your favorite stand-up comedians? Ooh, great question. Okay, so I grew up listening to stand-up comics. I actually credit some of my podcast demeanor to listening to hours and hours and hours of stand-up comic stand-up comic stand-up comedians when i was a kid my mother and i would drive to colorado every year from the east coast she would work at the aspen music festival for three months that was like her summer job and these long car trips we would listen to bill cosby who i don't really listen to anymore for kind of obvious reasons um and but he was a favorite back then for sure. I, I had his records, so that was extra disappointing for me. All the things that happened there. And George Carlin was a huge one. Steve Martin, big time, huge Steve Martin fan. So these are some of the older school comedians. The Smothers Brothers, I listen to them a lot. Robin Williams a bit, although my mother didn't like me listening to Robin Williams too much because he was he was actually really vulgar. <laughs> he was he cursed way more than any of those other ones. He talked about sex and body parts a lot and so my mother was like not as fond of him in that regard although she loved robin williams she just didn't like his stand-up as much um but then in more modern times you know i i was a huge fan of louis ck i don't know how i'm going to enjoy his comedy going forward it might be tainted a little bit we'll see this is all kind of new big fan of aziz ansari love hannibal barres seen both of those last two me and shea and sean have seen both of those two live and um who else uh there's a ton. I really like stand-up comedy. It's a it's a Kumail Nanjiani. Oh, big one. Yeah, Kumail Nanjiani, big name there. A um, lot of good ones. I'm I definitely a big fan of stand-up comedy. Who uh, Sarah Silverman's really good. Um, Nikki, what's Nikki? Uh, Glazer. Nikki Glazer is really good. Yeah, we, we sometimes watch those. Rachel Feinstein, you went to. Oh, Rachel Feinstein. We saw Rachel Feinstein live too, and she was hilarious. That was down at uh, the Vortex um, in Midtown Atlanta. That was really good. We also saw Hannibal Bar Hannibal Buress tape a podcast live, and. Uh, um, the guy from Run the Jewels. What's his name again? I, don't I can't remember what the Killer Mike from from uh, Run the Jewels showed up on the podcast. Just live podcast taping. We just whoa, <laughs> that was cool. So yeah, good stuff. Um, what are my hobbies outside of A Song of Ice and Fire? Question from Patalian. Okay, well, apart from a couple things I've already mentioned, some of the strategy computer games I play, um, baseball simulators, Civ Civilization Six, uh, Civilization, uh, or rather Crusader Kings Two. I play guitar. Um, of course, I like to read. I listen to a lot of podcasts. 
watch a lot of comedy TV shows, watch a few um, drama shows. I love period piece TV shows. Like I'm excited for Vikings to come back in a few days. And uh, I loved Black Sails. And usually my favorite shows are the period piece uh, set pieces like that, historical dramas. And um, I love gaming. Um, I love uh, hanging out with Ashea. <laughs> I would call that a hobby, but we do a lot of things together. And... Yeah, I uh, I just I de- basically like having a creating we 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 f- foster kind of a hangout zone in our house where you like we have arguing on Facebook. I do like arguing on Facebook. I wouldn't say I like it, but I do it. <laughs> it's a hobby. It's, a hobby. <laughs> it is, it's kind of an unintentional hobby. Yes, I am uh, I'm opinionated. Okay, next question is uh, Jason Egerbrecht. What do you think of the n plus a equals j theory, or what are your favorite tinfoil theories? I I'm not a big fan of n plus a equals j. Um, one of the big there's there's too many. Th- Things that stack up against it. Now, uh, the TV show obviously isn't the be-all, end-all, but that's just yet another reason to think that it's R plus L equals J has always been true and always been right. And uh, I, I don't mind entertaining alternate theories. I just don't think there's a lot of reason to entertain alternate theories on on John's birth because there's so many clues for it. I mean, there's no one big slam dunk clue necessarily, but there's so many little clues. And the whole Shara thing is just... I just don't see it. You know, there's a lot of things against it. For example... Ashara, um, well, this is one of those things where you really need a full presentation on. But basically just Ned never thinks of her as one thing. You know, he doesn't really think of John's parentage either. He doesn't think of Liana that much either. So that's not necessarily a big, oh, there you go. But he, he, I believe that he is just, I believe that he's lying about John to protect his sister and John's identity, not to protect himself. He is lying about... The Ashara stuff is a cover story, and it makes sense. It fits really well as a cover story. It doesn't fit really well as the truth, because then, well, what is all this Liana stuff then? What is all that? If Ned and Ashara had John, then what is, where is Liana's kid? What did, what did happen with Rhaegar and Liana? They didn't have a child, then why does she have a bed of blood? Why did Ned bring this baby back then? You know, it just... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't agree with it. I, I think it's it's fine to theorize. I'm never against people theorizing because part part of the fun of theorizing is to have fun. That's the idea. That's why we're in a fandom. I mean, one of the main things is to have a good time. You don't go into a fandom to have serious discussions about the future of, you know, third world economics. That's not. That's for your regular. That's that's for serious time. <laughs> you know, and this is. Uh, I don't know. As far as my favorite tinfoil theories, someone started a favorite tinfoil theory in our Facebook group and I did not respond to it. Not because I didn't want to, but because I could not come up with a favorite. There's a couple of ones I like, but they're mostly like obscure historical theories. Okay, here's one. I finally thought of one. My favorite tinfoil theory is that Aegon the Conqueror was was infertile and that uh, neither of his kids were... Uh, were our natural born from him. You know, maybe there may have been some magic on Visenya's side and there may have been some cheating on Rhaenys' side. So I'll go with that. I think that's fairly tinfoil, but it's a historic, it's my kind of tinfoil because it's a historical tinfoil <laughs> rather than uh, straight a Song of Ice and Fire tinfoil. I don't, I'm not a fan of like Bolt On. I don't think that's a, I'm not a fan of the most of the pink letter theories. Uh, okay, I'm not, not a fan of them. I just don't agree with them. Let's put it that way. I don't agree with them. I don't think, the high, you know, High Sparrow is Howlin' Reed or anything like that. Um, I am impressed with the um, amount of theories that come out of this fandom, but most of them are just theories. They're most likely wrong. <laughs> That's just the way of it. So that is not to put down theories, because again, the point of them is to have fun and to think about different things. But 
that's also the bottom line is most of them are wrong. <laughs> Although we won't know until the Wednesday winner comes out. And some of them we'll never know because George won't give us the answer. Brenda Starr. Happy name day is East. Thank you, Brenda. Q&A. Why do you think Bloodraven would hook up with the children of the forest in the first place? And how did they figure out they needed the Starks to kill the Nice King? Um, I'm not sure if they needed the Starks specifically, but they may have needed the, some of the blood that the Starks have. The World of Ice and Fire gave us a few clues as to way, maybe where some of this blood came from. We hear two specific anecdotes in the World of Ice and Fire that relate to this, uh, if not more, but at least two. One of them is the notion that Rickard Stark, not Ned's father, a different Rickard, killed the last Marsh King of the Kranigman and took his daughter to wife. By the way, as an aside, anytime you hear in history, blankety blank beat blank and took blank's daughter to wife, to wife, please. That's forcible marriage and rape. I mean, that's what that, I mean, occasionally I'm, there's got to be a few cases where the, the daughter of whose father was just killed actually went along willingly because maybe they hated their father. But most of the time, you're not happily marrying your father's killer who just took all of your land away. And that's just how it's kind of written in all the history books. But make no mistake, that's what's happening. So that's what Rickard Stark did, most likely, too. Remember that not all Starks are good guys. And even earlier in history, there's this War of the Wolves where the Stark uh, in Winterfell defeated the Warg King and took his daughter to wife. So this may have been George's way of telling us where some of these ancient bloodlines, how they got in the Stark bloodline. You know, the Warg King's blood got in there. But here's the trick. There's something that fools people a lot early on in the story and helps sell the lie that Ned is John's father is the direwolves. The direwolves themselves help sell this lie because you think that Ned's kids got direwolves. So John must be one of Ned's kids because Ned's kids got direwolves. But if John is the son of Lyanna, then these genes exist in the Stark bloodline, not just in Ned's bloodline or his wife's or both. Well, yeah. So, because, you know, his wife was a... Uh, is a Tully, so she probably doesn't have too much of, of the f first men blood, you know, from these ancient Stark bloodlines. Whereas most of the ancient Stark brides would have been from northern houses who shared some of this blood. So, yeah, the uh, to kill the Night King. See, this is this is tricky because we're we may be crossing over book and show here. We're we're not even sure there's a Night King, a living Night King figure in the book. In fact, George's hinted kind of strongly that there isn't, that it was just a mythological figure from the past. There isn't a, a boss other necessarily. And uh, so I think it might be that Bloodraven, and this is something we're going to explore more in the Bloodraven episode. I'll have some more solid answers when we do the second Bloodraven episode, which is his dealing with his time after. And uh, as we get at why he teamed up with them and what they, he learned from them. But I think it's just that he believes the truth of it. He's seen it. He knows the others are coming and he knows what a threat they pose. He, when he was, before he was in the, in the Lord, before he was in, in the Night's Watch, he worked with his, <clears throat> with the King, King Ares I, not the Mad King, Ares I, who was very much into prophecies, who read in a book that the dragons would come back one day. And this is part of why it's going to make the Blood Raven episode super interesting is, 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 touching back on all these prophecies that, that kind of culminated with Rhaegar. Rhaegar learned what he learned from a variety of sources, including books. Some of those same books may have been some of the same books that King Aerys read and that Bloodraven worked closely with him on. So Bloodraven would know these things. So follow that chain of events or this chain of knowledge. You have Bloodraven working with King Aerys 
who knows all these things about uh, the occult and the arcane and prophecies. And then he goes to the wall with Maester Eamon at the same time. And Maester Eamon and him know, probably confer on some things. So whatever Eamon knows, Eamon knew his, his own brother, Dreamt of Dragons, his own older brother, Daron the Drunkard, who had very intense dragon dreams. So those two could share that knowledge. Bloodrim could talk about what Ares knew. Eamon could talk about these other dreams and maybe things that he's read in his you know, studies as a maester. And then eventually Bloodraven disappears and Eamon starts corresponding with Rhaegar because Rhaegar's learning some of these things in some of the same books. And so Rhaegar basically ha potentially had the opportunity to learn everything Eamon knew plus everything Bloodraven and King Aerys knew. So all that. And, and, and then from the other side, the Ghost of Highheart comes along and tells you know, Egg, King Egg on the fifth, that the prince that was promised will be born of his line. And that's the same line that Rhaegar was born into, you know, and so they they grew up with that knowledge. So this this all these things came coming from multiple angles, but all culminates with Rhaegar. So that's kind of a, an aside from your answer. But I think that's part of how it got started. Blood Raven, I think, maybe passed on some of the stuff to Rhaegar, which is why Rhaegar maybe took it so seriously and why he did seemingly crazy things that kind of obviously led to civil war. And he said that some people just think that Rhaegar was an idiot, that he was just really selfish. And that's entirely possible. And it, it, But I also think there's a possibility that he really, you know, deeply believed that he had to do what he was doing to save humanity. We'll see. There's a lot we just don't know. And Bloodraven may have been taught that same thing. Like he, Because Bloodraven is on that mission. He is educating Bran to stop the others. Uh, obviously, there's some theories out there that suggest that Bloodraven's got some other agenda. But if, if, if those theories are wrong and Bloodraven is in, indeed trying to save humanity or stop the others, then that's all he's about. And as we saw, when he was a living man, he was a very hardliner guy. I mean, he's, he's living now, but you know what I mean. When he was not part of a tree. Like, watching him as a politician, he, he, he didn't send people to the wall that much. He executed them. You know, he was a, he was a, uh, a hardliner. He killed Blackfires when he shouldn't have, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but it got him in trouble. And uh, that got made him a lot of enemies, too. But anyway, that was a lot of... Uh, that's kind of a big tangent there, but you can see why we'll have so much to say in the Blood Raven episodes. Georgie V, who would you pick as your Kingsguard? Ooh... Tough one. Okay, I, if I could only pick living, I'll, I'll keep it simple to only go with living because if we go all time, there's just too many possibilities there. Um, I would take Selmy still. He still does his job. I mean, that guy, you know, he's 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 on top. Um, I would go with... Dang, maybe I'd go with like... I'd go with like Iron Emmett. That'd be a good one from yeah. the wall. Brienne, yeah, definitely Brienne. That's a great choice. Uh, let's see, someone from, heck, I wouldn't mind having the, the, the un-Gregor in my Kingsguard as long as I would be assured I had full control over him, because that's an intimidating Kingsguard member. If, if he would only be, if, if, if he was under my control, he would only be used for good. Allegedly. Until that power corrupted me and I started, uh, sending him after people who left bad comments on YouTube. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know who the others would be. That's a tough call. That's, I think I've only named four. Um, it's hard. Like so many of the good, loyal, like really trustworthy characters are dead. <laughs> it's like a lot of those that I would want to pick. But uh, yeah, maybe Beric Dondarrion. But he's technically he, I can't pick him because he's dead now. And I said no dead people. He would have been a good one. That's a guy who just kept doing what he maybe thought was right. Eventually, Edric Dane. Or Edric Dane, yeah. 
He gets a little older. Maybe Arya. Have Arya in my Kingsguard. Let's let's go. Let's let's change the style of the Kingsguard into someone who just don't mess with. <laughs> not as in, not as physically imposing, but potentially far more dangerous. Strong Belwas. Ooh, Victorian. Strong Belwas. Fine choice. Fine choice. Ooh, yes. Says Victorian. Victorian. Yeah. I mean, he's for, for a fighting skill, sure. But you know, I guess if he was loyal to me, because that guy is loyal. He's very he was very loyal to Balon, but uh, I don't know if he would be loyal to me because. You know, I don't have those qualities. <laughs> He'd be, I don't have those ironborn qualities that Victorian can respect. <laughs> Lady Lajara, who are your favorite show characters who exhibit the human heart and conflict via facial acting, etc.? And my favorite passage to read in the books is Davos's POV of the Blackwater battle. What is yours? Okay. First part of the question is favorite show characters who actually exhibit the human heart and conflict. Okay. Um. Jamie, Cersei, okay, real names. <laughs> Nikolai Coster-Waldo, Lena Headey, Alfie Allen, Peter Dinklage, and I'm trying to go top five here. Those are, maybe maybe I should only do a top four because those are the four that really jump out at me. I think Arya, you know, Maisie and, and uh, Sophie are really good actresses, but both of them have had to, because of the type, the, the the way their role is, they've had to kind of hide their emotions a lot. So they're they're supposed to do the like stone face. You can tell they've got internal conflict, but they're not wearing it. So that in a sense, that's the same thing, but they're, they're kind of forced to hide it. Whereas someone like Lena and Jamie or Lena and Nikolai, their their characters are allowed to express their emotions um, because they're in positions of power. So I think that's kind of an interesting dichotomy in in how characters are allowed to express themselves. And that's and that, something I hadn't really thought about a lot until you asked this question. So that's a good example of a question that makes you think about something that you hadn't even considered. And uh, so I guess that's, maybe I'll just leave it at that top four then, because I think those are the ones when we, during the TV season, those are the four that I probably mentioned the most. And no one else is really jumping out at me. I think, uh, I think Kit Harrington's come a long way. Like I was more critical of him early on, but I think he's gotten a lot better at that. I think his, his, his acting has been gotten stronger over the years. And, uh, okay, I'll leave it at that. Okay, if I come up, if I think another one, maybe, uh, maybe I'll go that way. But the second half of the question is, what is, what is my favorite passage to read in the books? She says her favorite is the POV, Davos' POV of the Battle of the Blackwater. Ooh, that's really hard. I guess it's another one of those favorite, again, I struggle with favorites. So maybe I'll just name a few that come to mind. I, I really, really like this chapter that I'm working on now, The North Remembers. That is a fantastic chapter. It's like, finally, the Starks get some good news. Finally, something's going the right way for the Northern cause. You know, finally, like a powerful ally has been running game in the right way, you know. And uh, I really like... Melisandre's one chapter, that's awesome just because it's different and you just get so much insight. It, it reveals so much and it was the kind of chapter I never expected to get because George always said, you're never going to get chapters from people who knew too much. So, A, it was like, wait, Melisandre doesn't know too much? <laughs> that was the second realization. The first realization was, wow, Melisandre's getting a chapter. Holy crap, she knows so much. Then it was like, wait, maybe she doesn't know that much if she's getting a chapter. Um, I really like Victorian's chapters too, not because... Victorian's a great dude. He's not. He's a horrible guy. But I'm fascinated with George's ability to write someone who's so different than him. Like, I think Tyrion's, like, super intelligent and clever, but I think he's he's similar to George in so many ways. That's why George is his favorite. That's why George says Tyrion is his favorite, because he identifies with him. So, yeah, George, Tyrion is really smart and cunning, but that's kind of what George is. So he kind of write, he's kind of writing what he knows. George has a quick wit, and he, you know, these things. Maybe not, you know, maybe more with a pen than verbally, but... 
Still, this is, is kind of it's kind of his sense of humor. Victorian is nothing like George R. R. Martin, so I'm impressed that he can write a compelling, ridiculous, brutal alpha male character that's nothing like the author. Like you have to really go outside yourself to write characters like that, and it's this, and this is why he's challenged by writing children. Like that's super hard. <laughs> you know, we've all been children, but do you remember like what was going through your head when you were eight? You know, like maybe somewhat, but entirely, I don't know. It was a lot. So, okay, wow, we've been going a lot longer than I thought. Time flies. Okay, I've got three questions left. I'm going to handle these three questions, and then I'm going to open some presents. So stay tuned for some present opening after I get these last three questions in. Who is my baseball team? Matt, Mike McIntyre. I'm a Braves fan. I live in Atlanta, so that worked out nicely because I, I was a Braves fan before I moved That's to why Atlanta. You moved here. <laughs> <laughs> it was a plus. It's not why I moved here, but it is. it was a big plus. It's like, oh, I'm also going to go live where my favorite team is. Um, the Braves were on TBS back in the day, but they were one of the first TV, sh one of the first teams to be put on a channel as their own channel. Tur Ted Turner bought the Braves and he started his own network. He's like, hmm, peanut butter, chocolate, I'll combine them. He, he did his own thing, right? So he's like, I own a TV, TV station and I own a baseball team. I'm going to put my t baseball team on this TV station. And now, like, that's ubiquitous now. Like, almost every baseball team has, you know, is, is locally available. And, uh, but that was, got, that's what got me. I was a kid into baseball as a five-year-old and didn't have a team. I kind of like the Yankees because my, my mom moved around a lot when I was a kid. So I, I didn't have, like, a hometown team. So the Braves were on TV no matter where I went. So I identified with that. And so I stuck with them. And so I'm a Braves fan. So it's a good time to be a Braves fan, even though they just got hammered by uh, their general manager was cheating and he got fired for cheating and they lost some prospects but their their minor league system is awesome and they're just about to be good again so i'm excited to be a Braves fan and i've been to the new stadium once it's good good cool new stadium new uh urban design feature where they're trying to make like zones of the city completely habitable without you having to drive and, and so it's kind of kind of neat but that's that would be a huge tangent andrew gilbert which castle would you choose to live in and which house i bet vale comma Greyjoy. yeah uh, I wouldn't want to live in the north. It's too cold. <laughs> I might want to live in the reach. Heck, I might want to live in Dorne. You know, I think maybe Dorne. I mean, the deserts stink, but I could live, you know, on the coast where it's not so bad. I'm not a big fan of deserts, but I am a fan of the Dornish culture because it's, you know, it's, it's, it seems the more, most progressive, the most, the least, uh, you know, for someone modern, someone who lives in current day to go back to live in that sort of timeline would be kind of harsh. So you, you kind of want to be as modern as possible. Not that Dorne is modern, but they'd be the most modern of the kingdoms. I would not want to live in the Iron Islands for sure, but I do like their, even though they're my favorite sigil. The Vale would be all right, but it's the second coldest region. It might be a little too cold, but maybe in the Southern Vale, maybe maybe in Gulltown, because you have the Erie nearby and, and Runestone is nearby and you got ships and you got, you know, you'd have a, a, a variety of people there because it's a city, a true city, Gulltown. I wouldn't want to live in King's Landing because apparently it stinks. And I can totally believe that. But Old Town might be nice. Old Town does not stink. Um, it doesn't smell great. But, you know, according to Davos. Davos, remember, Davos talks about how all the different cities have their own kind of smell. Old Town is, is, is pretty good <laughs> as far as these things go. So maybe I think Old Town or somewhere in the Reach or in Dorne, probably in the southern parts, probably because uh, of the weather. And uh, because Dorne is also less war-torn. Dorne people, it's hard to invade Dorne, you know. If you're gonna, if you get into a war in Dorne, it's probably a civil war, probably two Dornish houses fighting each other, which means it's probably not gonna engulf the entire country. Loremaster asks, spin-off show you would want to see the most? Ooh, um, 
Out of game, I assume he means a Game of Thrones spinoff show. I really, really not just because it's a Shea's pitch like the Nymeria pitch. I mean, you better say that. No, I mean it's true. It really it fits the format so well. But okay, but aside from that, which I'm absolutely a huge fan of. You haven't seen the video. If you haven't seen the video, we put it up. It's on our YouTube channel. Um, especially for you, who, those of you listening on podcast, you may not even be aware we did this. It's a four-minute video. Shea's pitch. It's very well produced. It's got like graphics and Michael Clarfeld, who did these maps and our video intro. Our video intro. If you've seen our video intro, you know the quality we're talking about here. And um, it's a you know short four-minute scripted presentation that Shea first did at Con of Thrones, but she kind of souped it up and tightened it up a bit. And she won the the presentation award there at Con of Thrones for best spinoff pitch. So yeah, it's worth it. But anyway, to back to your question. Um, I would, there's a lot of ones I would like to see. Most of them won't happen because they just aren't feasible. I would love to see like a really early days of Westeros, like super ancient stuff, like the Andal invasion or something crazy like that, or the first long night or Aegon's conquest would be awesome. And that one's actually not entirely out of the question. Um, I would love a Robert Rebellion spinoff, but they've said that that's not happening. Uh, Blackfire Rebellions is, that one's actually possible. And I would love to see that because it's a lot of drama, long-running story that spans multiple generations. They could do a lot with it. Some really compelling characters. Blood, I mean, as popular as Blood Raven is, as popular as some of the other characters like Bittersteel and Shiera Seastar are, that would really, they would really like have figures that people could like latch onto. Isn't it still really unlikely because we're doing they're not doing Dunkin' Egg and that just has such crossover? Yeah, no, yeah. Shea points out that they're not doing Dunkin' Egg and because there's so much Dunkin' Egg Blackfire crossover, that might mean that that's not going to happen. Yeah, uh, it's probably pretty low on the list of possibilities. One that is kind of high in the list of possibilities is Dance of the Dragons, and you can see why they would want to do that because so much dragon action, like that's just visually stunning, and I would like to see that. I'll take what I can get, to be honest. Whatever they put out, we're going to cover. We're going to cover it enthusiastically, unless it's just god-awful terrible, in which case we'll cover it less enthusiastically. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm going to do right by by the community and, and do the coverage that uh, that y'all expect. So, I guess another tough question, though. This is as far as which one I want to see the most. Yeah, I really don't know. I think maybe that maybe that original Long Night one would be pretty incredible. Or let's go back and do a Great Empire of the Dawn spinoff. How about that? That would be incredible. But man, the, the budget <laughs> would have to be something else. Okay, let us uh, let us get to some let's let's get to the presents here. A, p- a couple people have sent me some presents here. I'm going to open some live presents on camera here. Um, so thanks to everybody again for coming. This is from first one here. I th- this this package, I believe, this is from Lord Stephen Stark, our Surveyor of Kings and our Lord Commander of our Kingsguard. Very generous fellow who's also given me some cool Shire Post Mint coins. And his real name is Stephen Stark. That is not a nickname. The man's real name is Stark. Perfect name for the fandom. And what has he sent us today? Oh, it's from Amazon. That's a good sign. (laughs) Okay, it's a box inside a box. The suspense is building. Um... I'm not very good at opening boxes here. Oh, cool. It's a mug. Here we go. Oh, cool. It's a Stark mug. Awesome. Heck yeah. That is perfect. Right up my alley. I am a coffee drinker too, so that's perfect. And now I have an, uh, I get to expand my collection of mugs for, for guests as well because you got to drink out of a different mug every day. You know, I got a Greyjoy mug. Shea's got a Dorn mug. Martell. We got a Mart- Martell. Sorry, Dorn. Right yeah, I just totally did a Game of Thrones there. See how it infects you? <laughs> Okay. Oh, it changes color, he says. It changes color? Oh, from heat? 
Oh, cool. Well, I guess we can't try that out live, but that's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, well. And then here's the second one. This is all your gifts. And here's another one. Here we go. This one's from Ashea. Okay, oh, so. There's a nice little note. Oh, there's a note? Yeah. Oops. I should read the note. Okay, the note says. Hi Aziz, use daily to avoid unwanted fatigue and crankiness. From Stephen Stark. Yes, I do and I will. I do use coffee. I drink coffee. I often drink coffee starting from when I wake up until about an hour before I go to bed. <laughs> it's not a very good habit. Um, okay, here we go. Ha <laughs> Check it out. Poker socks. <laughs> we got we got a, an ace and a ten. That's a pretty good hand. Ace ten. That's not a bad hand. Not a pretty good starting hand. It's not suited, but it's it's pretty strong. <laughs> Good hand. Okay, so I got a strong hand on my feet coming up, but we're not done yet. Here we go. We have a pair of boxers. We have the, the Chewbacca boxers. <laughs> <laughs> that is classic. So I am... You sure you want to see me in these? <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, oh, more socks. Okay, we got some... Red and black music socks. This is kind of like I'm. This is, this is these are black. I'm calling these Blackfire socks. Um, yes, we got the musical notes here. The right black and red colors. Oh yeah, you can grab that shirt. I'll show that shirt too. Yeah. And here we have. Oh, look at this Simpsons pajama pants. Look at all the. This is one of those. This is the Simpsons with every character. Jeez, look at all that. That is all the characters. That is glorious. I'm gonna have. The next time, if I wear these in an episode, I'll have to point the camera slightly down so y'all can see them. <laughs> we also got, on Thanksgiving, our new friend and listener, uh, Pete, uh, aka P-Easy, came up from the South Side to celebrate Thanksgiving with us, and he brought us copies of his made Blackfire Lives Matter shirt. <laughs> yes, we were in that during the next Blackfire episode, most likely. The proper colors, of course, red with the black dragon. Well done, Pete. Match Very nice. Socks, yeah, yeah don't match those socks. I'll have the music socks. I'll just have to write a Blackfire song, <laughs> thanks to Rita's suggestion there. <laughs> for, for, for Sean to dance to. <laughs> yes, for Sean to dance to. We'll put it all together. We'll have a Blackfire song for Sean to dance to. We'll make Sean a Blackfire uh uh, fanboy. <laughs> Iontron says, how about some Porg boxers? Well, <laughs> the Porg can be right, the Porg face can be right on the crotch. Right? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Okay, everybody. That is all. Thank you all for joining me. What? There's another one? Oh, holy crap. I'm sorry. There's another one in here. Jeez, there's two more in here. I'm all premature here. There's another one here. Okay, we got the Simpsons were just so big, I thought that was the bottom of the bag. Okay, we got another pair of pants here. Whoa, what is this? Oh, Millennium Falcon and Death Star. We got more Star Wars pants. It's that Star is Wars awesome. Season. It is Star Wars season, that's true. We're only, we're less than, what is it, like 15 days before the movie? Yeah, it comes out so soon. Soon, really yeah. soon, maybe like 20 days. Yeah, it's exciting. We've got our, we've got our force, we've got our Last Jedi tickets for opening night to see in uh, one of the big theaters here in Atlanta. 10 tickets. Ten tickets. And we have lounge pants. Darth Vader lounge pants. I like that it says lounge pant. <laughs> Not pants. Pant. It's a single pant. It's only one leg. <laughs> Darth Vader pant. Yeah, I am, I am now Star wars up big time. So earlier I was asked what fandom I'm most into. You, you would think Star Wars based on all this, right? <laughs> I certainly now have more Star Wars gear than any other fandom except for Game of Thrones. One day I need to count all my Game of Thrones shirts. It's, it's, it's probably 30. It's getting up there. It's a lot. <laughs> okay, everybody. Now, nope. There is another. One. Jeez, you're just, you're just bare. Oh, and a, and a, and a. Okay. Can and I, I already got a sleep mask. A sleep mask. Okay. 
I can't say anymore. Now I am, um, now I'm Maester Eamon. No, I can't read the Patreon credits like that. You should have it all memorized. <laughs> Stephanie Vale says you can never have enough Star Wars stuff. Correct. That is correct. I can never have enough Star Wars stuff. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, again. Um, now I'll get the, the exit correct on my premature. I'm double tap. Okay, there really is nothing in this bag now. Really sure. And, um, yeah, so, again, I really appreciate everybody coming out to hang out in this uh, lower content fun hangout day. We will be back with scripted episodes again soon. And um, I hope everybody's having a great holiday season. Thanks to Ashea for running production and handling the questions. And, of course, for all these great birthday presents. That as well. All of them. I gave you them all. <laughs> Thanks to Stephen Stark for the mug, which I can't wait to see what colors it changes. I guess it maybe changes to Stark colors or something. White we'll see. And gray. White and gray. or Maybe, yeah. That's cool. We'll see. We'll find out shortly. And I'll report back. And, of course, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters who have funded our show and made episodes like this possible. Thanks to our peers of the realm, the mysterious BR, Hand of the King, Lady Suzanne Sinistral, the learned, holder of the left-handed Valyrian shears, called Penance and Hand of the Beard, Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire, and Warden of the West, also is the host of the Two Age War podcast, which is a really good show that he is following along in the footsteps of enthusiastic podcasters by really getting into the material, although his episodes are not six hours long like Dan Carlin's. They're a lot tighter and shorter. They're like 30 minutes. Very good, but most, mostly focusing on lesser-known battles, so good stuff. And he's a military guy himself, an army guy, so he knows his stuff. Kabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Lord George, Stor Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is... A Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Lord Kelly McMath of Covington is Lady of the Villa Hills and Crescent Springs, Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones in the Narrow Sea, Commander of the Royal Fleet, consisting of the Narrow Fleet led by the flagship Caraxes, and the Bloodstone Fleet led by the flagship Prince Damon. Charlotte Oster is Corsair Queen of the Western Shivering Sea, Commander of the Briny Fleet, whose flagship is the Barnacle-encrusted Violet-hulled Mercenaria. She carries the Nacre-inlaid Shucking Blade Crasslover. Sir Valentin of House to Gen is creator of the Game of Predictions Free Futures Market. Fun way to uh, make fake fun bets on what you think is going to happen in the future of both Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire. We have our Blood Riders, usually thanked midway through the episode, but this episode is a very unusual format, so they're getting their shout-outs at the end. Koho Koi is Master of the Bow, called Sun Piercer. Also, she is one of our Facebook moderators in our new group. Very generous of her to... to um, lend her time to helping our Facebook group become great. Thanks to our other Facebook mods as well. You know who you are. Some of you have asked questions in this episode. And uh, one of these days, uh, next time, I'm going to get your get a list together and give you all specific shout-outs. But I should, really should have done that this time. But I forgot. So next time, we'll do that for a scripted episode. Also, Vorsaki, wielder of the Valyrian steel Arak with a dragon bone hilt, a fierce weapon. Our small council is led by Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers. Grandmaster Saria of the Barrows is Cinder of the Citadel. We have Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Coin. Rosie the Clever, Master of Laws. We have Lady Diarliz of Castle Naki, the Alpha Patron. We have Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone. We have Lord Skip of the Velt, Cat Lord of Castle Ganges. We have Gregor the Toasty, Lord of the Breadfort. We have Alicia Everlasting of the Greenblood, Lady of Desert Rose. Lady, oh, sorry, Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord... Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawk's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. 
the Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed, and new cat owner. <laughs> Good job with the new kitty there, buddy. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Donhold. Lord Bemmy Snugglebunny is guardian of the hidden 100-acre Weirwood, dual-wielding Glorious Morning and Little Light Wise. Boy, that's a tongue twister. Little Light Wise. Whew. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands. Last scion of Clan McCulloch, strength and courage. The Bastard of the Wolfswood is first forester of the Old Gods, sworn to house Iron Weirwood. Listen for the silence. Connor the Dungeon Master is Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pass. Lady Dalish is Dark Widow of Harrenhal. Lord Sidney Jesse is the Fallborn and Lord of Blue Spring. Nevesa the Twinhearted is a suspected skin changer is holder of Castle Carahill. Our King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. Our Queen's, How Queen's High Council includes Lady Jane of House Celtigar, the Emerald of the Evening, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Axe, Painkiller, Mistress of Sea Eagles and Mistress of Ships. Lady My Emerald Eyes is Voice of House Swan, Mistress of Whispers. Elia of Upstate is Master of Coin. Grand Maester M. Elizabeth is Middle Daughter of Lyanna Mormont, First Lady of Forge, both the Silver and Valyrian Steel Links. And Bold Betha of House Copperhook. Still waters run deep, Master of Logs. Our Kingsguard is commanded by the Smiling Wolf, Lord Commander Stephen Stark, cartographer of kings who earned a white cloak through wisdom and learning as much as skill at arms. And is a very generous fellow. Thanks again for the Stark Mug, buddy. Also, our Queen's Guard, led by Lord Captain Commander Hama Helminth, the Sellsword Sentinel, Lady Mymeria of House Seapertle, Alexander of House Atreides from the Seat of Dune, I Must Not Fear, Fear is the Mind Killer, Becca the Bard, Songbird of the North, Eric Redbeard, Odinson, wielder of Tempest, a monstrous warrior. Oh, that's Sir Eric, excuse me. Michonne the Melodious is Star of Old Town, motto Minds Over Masters. And Sir Rambo is Knight of House Ganon, motto, First Blood. Of course, what else would Knight of House Rambo's motto be? Our beard guard is commanded by Lord Commander George the Golden, backed up by Sir Joshua Oakheart, the White Oak, Lady Rita of the Copper Main, the Unbound, Dance the Fervor, Sir Jeff, Warden of the AC, Wielder of Triad, the multifaceted beard of Platinum, Red and Brown, his motto is Stay Frosty. We also have our History of Westeros and Night's Watch, which is commanded by Lord Commander Denier Flint, avenging the memory of Brave Danny and commanding from the Night Fort. Also, First Ranger Fabian Flowers, the Bastion Greenshield, First Builder Patchface of Motley Wisdom, and First Steward, Sir Jurion of the Torrentine, called Palewind. A few other recent additions to our patrons include Chain of House Holonomy, Shepherd of Derbies. We have... Lena the Lightbearer of House Whitefoot, Lady Shar, Sapphire of the Rushing Springs of House Beverly, Justice, Cold and Swift. We also have, where did they go? Where are these cool new patrons hanging out? We have Lady Mage the Scholar. We have Lee of House Ironwood. We have Sir Ryan the Red, Death Eater of the North. We have Jasana the Just, Collector of Tolls, Captain of the Golden Gift. And we have Woods Witch Feverfew. We have Grin of Long Lake, the Ice Mage. We have Roberta of House Mitchell, Lady of Prime Elegance. That is one of the fanciest names we have. Shadowbinder Jenea of Nine Stars, Lady of Heights. Noros of Fen, Archmaster of Skin Changers, Speaker of Beasts. Matthew Firstborn, Son of the Forest. Archmage, Archmaster Haloran, Silverlinked Guardian of the Histories. And Archmaster Stephanie, the Apothecary, whose rod and ring and mask are so 
All right, that's it for today, everybody. Thanks again. We will see you again soon. And Valar Rerius. <laughs>